Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. What's up and welcome back to Bar Down Talking Hockey, episode number 59, presented by the Ballroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi, and my favorite team came in second in the lottery yesterday. And this right here, this is Frankie Mueller, and he sent out invites for the greatest day of the summer, the 2022 Frankie Mueller Bags Tournament. We will get to that a little bit later. I cannot wait to debate with you on what's going to go on with that whole thing. I'm sure the listeners would just be so excited to see what's going on with that, but... Before we kick things off today, we're going to get to a very, very, very special guest, and we're going to lead it off in period number one. Welcome to period one, where we are going to discuss the Chicago Blackhawks with a huge guest, somebody that we've all been reading on Facebook, Twitter, all of it for a long time. He runs, he used to run Committed Indians. Now he is with Bleacher Nation covering the Chicago Blackhawks. Of course, we are going to welcome on Tab Bamford. Bamford. Tab Bamford. Tab, how are we doing? Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Good to be with you, gentlemen. Absolutely. I I made sure how to pronounce your last name with you before we went live, and I still messed it up. So welcome to our show. It's all good. I've heard so many variations, not a problem at all. Absolutely. I deal with the same thing with my last name. So, you know, before we get going with you, last night was the 2022 NHL draft lottery. And of course, the Chicago Blackhawks, they fell right out of it. And some people see it as a good thing. I like the 2023 draft a lot better. Um, what was your take on that? If they're sending over that pick to Columbus, what do you got for me on that? Well, with any draft, I think you have to wrap everything in context, and that requires five or six years down the road to see how stuff actually plays out. So they gave up their number one last year, Adam Boquist, and potentially the number one this year to get Seth Jones, who is an innings innings. He's a minutes eater on the blue line. He's productive offensively. I think everyone in Chicago has you know wrung their towels and everything else about what he can and can't do defensively and when he takes chances. But I think what you have here is a situation where you need to see what Columbus ultimately gets out of the sixth pick. Um, Columbus is in a great position. They got a nice player last year. They're going to have two picks in the lottery this year because they suck. And so if you're a team that's looking to rebuild, you know, it's funny because Kent Johnson was one of their top picks last year. And now he's in the fold and he's having to deal with University of Michigan hockey player moving to Columbus, Ohio. God bless him go blue but you know columbus is trying to build and i think they're in a really good spot right now with two picks in the lottery to do some damage but if you're the blackhawks you know the 22 draft is kind of a mixed bag a lot of analysts say that shane wright's a a bona fide nhl player he's going to be a really solid nhl player at some point in the not too distant future but you know he would be a top 10 guy next year and next year's draft is drawing 2003 references and you've got 
Connor Bedard at the top of the class, who a lot of people are mentioning in the same sentence as guys like Crosby and McJesus. So, you know, I don't think the Blackhawks' goal is to be a team that is Montreal bad as an, you know, an odds favorite to be the number one pick. But obviously, Kyle Davidson has said that they're ready to take a step backwards and, you know, look to the long-term future while being at least competitive in the short term. And so is Shane Wright going to fix that? Possibly, uh, but not individually. And when you look at the 23 draft being as, as loaded as it possibly could be, if you, if you buy the hype machine and the fact that they got Tampa's number one in the Brandon Hagel deal, which I think we can all comfortably say Tampa's not going to be a top 10 pick next year. Um, you know, the Hawks are in a really good position and not only add some really good quality to the system, but if they want to be aggressive and move up, if you've got two first rounders in a really good deep draft, you can not only weaponize those in a trade to get younger, more NHL ready talent, or go ahead and use them in a really good deep draft. So I was of the school of thought that if you're not landing number one, don't give me number two. And if it's not Shane Wright, I would actually rather have a shot next year and have two picks in a much, much deeper first round. Yeah, I, I agree. We've been, we've talked about that on how I know you didn't want the Blackhawks to win this year because then ultimately can't win it next year. And I mean, it appears that next year's draft is going to be a, a little more stacked than this year. Um, like Tab said, a little bit more of a mixed bag type of style this year. Uh, you don't, you never know what you're going to get. I mean, it might be better than a lot of people are expecting. But uh, Tab, I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, I stumbled upon one of your tweets the other day because when the, the when the Blackhawks kind of ended the Joel Quinville era, they got rid of him. They brought in uh, Derek King, um, and uh, I just wanted to know because your tweet said that they should call Barry Trotz and have him. The Hawks should look into him. Um, I was under the impression that when the Hawks got rid of Quinville, they would find a veteran coach. That was what I was hoping for. And is this the opportunity they should jump on right now? What are your takes on that? Well, here, so lots to unpack there. Barry Trotz for me in the last 20 years is the only coach, including Mike Babcock, that I would want coaching my team against a Joel Quinville team. For me, they're 1A, 1B as far as NHL coaching in the last 20 years. I love Barry Trotz, the way that he approaches things. I mean, hell, he got Alexander Ovechkin to play defense for 20 minutes. So – if you can do that, I mean, you might as well be sainted by the Catholic Church because that's a damn miracle. Um, but he's you look at his track record, Nashville, limited resources. They were in the playoffs half of the time. He got into a cup final. He goes to Washington. He gets them over the hump. They win a Stanley Cup. He goes to the Islanders, who, if we're honest, were trash before he got there. Coach of the year's first year, back-to-back Eastern Conference final appearances. And then this year – Anything and everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for the Islanders. So the fact that he's on the market, like I've, I've said in private conversations, you can't fire a coach if the right guy isn't there, right? If you're not immediately getting an upgrade in your mind, you can't just go buckshot into the wild and say, yeah, let's see who's out there. And that's why I appreciate Kyle Davidson being patient as he goes into the summer looking to do a job search for a head coach and Derek King being in the mix because – there were some issues with what King did, but he was a first-time NHL coach. He's got a lot of playing experience, and I think he did a good job communicating both with the media and the players, which is ironic because Jeremy Colton was allegedly a communicator and he was crap at it. But anyway, um, why I would want the Blackhawks to go after Barry Trotz is a couple things. One, if you don't shoot for the best, you can't get the best. If you don't at least ask, shame on you. 
would Barry Trotz come to Chicago? It's a real. It's going to be a really hard sell for Kyle Davidson, because if you're going into, I don't want to say tank mode, but full rebuild, words that they've used as an organization. I mean, he's a Hall of Fame coach, and if the Winnipeg Jets, who are a borderline playoff team with a lot of good, experienced NHL players, they're ready to jump now, and he's from the province. That's a tough sell. There are going to be other jobs that open up. I mean, Detroit's going to pay somebody a lot of money, and it feels like their young guy, their rebuild is a little bit more progressed than where the Hawks are right now, kind of transitioning from the dynasty to the next generation. So it's it's going to be a massive sell for Kyle Davidson. But if you don't ask, shame on you. And I like him because his style is a defense-first style. He's about scoring suppression, generating offense, not outscore people six to four Edmonton Oilers. So – when you look at where the Blackhawks are committed financially for the next three to five years, at least what's on paper now, assuming that they don't trade anyone, which I think that they probably might slash will, but you look at where they've stockpiled through recent drafts, you look at what they've gotten Rockford coming. And when you look at where they're spending money at the NHL level, they're a blue line heavy team. They just are. And you just gave up a lot of assets. We just talked about it for Seth Jones to lead your blue line. You've got some really talented youngsters. And I think Barry Trotz coming in, if you're looking at the interim being a defense first style, best suiting the personnel that you have, you know, the old KYP, know your personnel. You have to know your personnel if you're the GM looking for a coach. And if you've got a team that's overloaded with quality on the blue line and lacking a little bit offensively, I would want a head coach that's going to lead a team to win games, maybe two, one, three, two, and not try and outshoot people seven, five, if you've only got two goals worth of offense to provide the guy. So I think Trotz would be able to do miracles with this team. I think he's a phenomenal coach, but selling him on coming to Chicago is going to be a really tall ask. And uh, if Kyle Davidson can pull it off, I mean, Saint the guy again, but uh, it's going to be a really tall ask for him to get Barry Trotz to come to Chicago, but I sure as hell hope they'd at least get on the phone and talk with him and or his agent about what it would look like to possibly try and get him here. It certainly would be interesting to see Quinville and, trots be two of the four most recent blackhawks coaches because like you said they're two of the five best coaches in the last 20 years there's no doubt about it and you know those barry trots has had stars on his team as you mentioned with ovechkin obviously barzell kuznetsov different guys he's had on his team over the years i'm curious you brought up trading players jonathan Taves and patrick kane each have one year left on their deal and they're at a hefty price tag for a team that's quote-unquote rebuilding do you, in the opinion of Tab Bamford, is this it for them? Or are they going to get traded, play out the year, trade deadline? What do you think on the situation there? Two massively different situations. So Agreed. the easier one to answer is Jonathan Taves. Uh, I don't think Taves wants to leave Chicago. Uh, I think he is. he has always been a student of the game, a history buff who understands place in history. I mean, he youngest guy ever to get into the triple gold club and youngest captain in Blackhawks history. I think he was the, when he was named captain, he was the third youngest captain in NHL history. Uh, his name with a C next to it is on the Stanley Cup three times in this town. I don't think he wants to leave. And the blunt reality is at a $10.5 million cap hit, even for what he is, I mean, he was still terrific at the dot, one of the best in the NHL. Uh, but a $10.5 million third-line center, on a good team is a really big ask. And frankly, the teams that are competitive to the point that they would want to think about bringing in a Taves, uh, if he was cup chasing, if you will, don't have cap space to do that. So, and you're not going to get a guy with a full no trade to accept a deal to a bottom feeder. So it's just, that's not going to happen. And even if you retain half of it, still $5 million for 
a third line center is a big ask. And I think if we're really honest, Jonathan Taves should be a second or third line center on a, on, a, on the Blackhawks. Um, and once Dylan Strome figured out how to win faceoffs, he was able to finally emerge as a number one center on the line with Kane and DeBrinkett, but he needed to get over 47% at the dot for that to be viable. And to his credit, Strome did. So if Taves is your second line center in Chicago next year, I think it's a good situation for the Blackhawks. You need that leadership. You need to teach the young guys how to do it, much like Hosa was a guy who helped the young guys understand what it took to grind it out, especially in April, May, and June. He's a guy that can help do that, and his leadership is still valuable. And at that cap, it, I really don't see there being a team that's going to be willing to sprint with a checkbook to pick him up. And you're going to be selling him for pennies or taking back a terrible contract, like when they traded Brian Campbell for Rusty Olish with the Panthers, and that deal was just a miserable backfire for the Blackhawks. But, you know, they moved on. They did okay once Campbell was gone, but he was making $7 million when the cap was much smaller than it is today. And that's what you have to do. You either have to take a bad contract back, like Tyler Johnson, to get Seabrook's paper off the books. And the music just turned on in the background. I apologize for that. Um, uh, but, yeah, uh, I think he's going to go kill that real quick. I apologize. That was a completely unexpected uh, country hoedown. It's a nice um, little jam, though. Yeah, it was yeah, in my head. It's, it's not my jam, but uh, there you go. And the music's <laughs> gone. You're welcome. Hey, little intermission. Um, you needed, needed to go scrape the ice for a second. Um, anyway, so Taves, I don't think he goes for the financial reasons, and I think he's still valuable to the franchise. Patrick Kane is a completely other conversation. He's got one year left. Uh, $10.5 million for a guy who's going to give you 90, 90 to 100 points is actually – reasonable in the national hockey league today. Um, and I think that a team that wants to take the next step and jump into cup consideration, um, would find a way to make that work. I think Patrick Kane as a 90 plus point guy this year, he's a guy that you find a way to make it work. And if that means you got to buy a guy out or make a trade where you're selling a big contract for nothing makes sense. So Patrick Kane, I could see a team making it work a lot easier than tapes. I don't think Patrick Kane wants to leave. I think it has to be an absolute right situation. You've got to have players that he wants to play with. You've got to have a GM that he likes and gets along with. You have to have a GM that has an affinity for what he brings to the ice and what he think, how he thinks that missing puzzle piece helps his team get over the hump. And then they've got to have the right assets to come back. And that's the biggest question is not only are you going to move a $10.5 million cap hit, but even if you retain, if you retain some of it, the assets are going to go up and it's going to be really freaking expensive to get Patrick Kane out of Chicago, even for only one year. So if I was a gambling man, I would probably put my money on both of them still being in Chicago next year. Beyond that, I think is holy TBD. I think the conversation would need to be had with Patrick Kane about what his salary expectations are in his mid thirties and what kind of term he wants. Frankly, I think Alexander Ovechkin's deal kind of screwed everybody on that because when he comes back with a relatively long year, I think it was a five-year deal, and he's still sitting at that $10 million range in his mid-30s, you know, that sets a market for a guy like Patrick Kane on what you would consider to be kind of a, a an exit package for his NHL career. Um, 
But the other reality that you have to keep in mind with both of them after this year is there's another player who has one year left on his contract, and that's Alexander. Alexander, get out of my head of Etchkin. Um, Alex DeBrinkett, who is going to be a $10 million player. He just is. If you're a 40 goal guy, uh, you're going to be getting nine to 10 plus million dollars a year. And I think he's worth it. He's shown that. And so the Blackhawks need to decide if DeBrinkett's going to be part of the long term answer. And if he is, that's what it's going to cost them. So you're going to have to come up with that money from somewhere. And you've got nine and a half million going to Seth Jones starting next season. So you're going to have to do some, you know, financial gymnastics to figure all of that out. But my understanding is that 19 and 88 would like would love to finish their careers in Chicago. Uh, but we all understand that it's a business. And if it's cliche to say even Gretzky can get traded, well, he did. But Ovechkin hasn't been traded. Crosby hasn't been traded. Um, and so I think that there's a, a big part of a lot of Blackhawks fans' souls that would really like to see them finish their time in, in Chicago. And I, I wrote that when the Anaheim Duck bid farewell to Ryan Getzlaff, that I was envious that they were able to have a farewell for a guy who's been through the wars for them and given his entire career to one sweater. Um, because right now we have no guarantee that 19 or 88 is going to finish their career in Chicago. Uh, but I think we'd all really like to see that in our hearts, maybe more than our pocketbooks and our brains. I think our hearts would like to see it just after you guys might be too young to remember the 80s and 90s and with the Blackhawks dumping. You know, first it was Savard, but the ch- getting Chelios in that deal worked out pretty well. But then you have the burn down with Larmer going to the Rangers. And then, you know, Ronick goes, Chelios goes, Belfort goes, you know, everybody out the door. And it feels like they didn't get much in return on any of that. So you'd like to see someone, you know, for the first time in a long time, play their entire career in one sweater. It's just so incredibly rare now that when you look at some of the icons of the last 20 years, you look at like Kopitar and Dowdy in Los Angeles, you know, Dustin Brown's hanging up his skates. He played his whole career for the Kings. Uh, Crosby, it looks like he's going to be a lifer in Pittsburgh. Ovechkin doesn't look like he's going to go anywhere in Washington. You'd really, really like to see them only wear one sweater their whole career, but we don't have that guarantee anymore. Yeah. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the NHL is a business. It's all going to be about business. What's going to be best for the team. I think if it was up to Kane and Taves, they, they would have their way to stay in Chicago. Me personally, I think the Blackhawks would be fools to let Debrinket go. And if they're going to keep Debrinket, like you said, I mean, he's going to get paid well. I mean, 40 goal scorer. He will, I believe he will have a hundred point season guaranteed. If he's scoring 40 goals, he could get 60 assists. I mean, it's just going to come naturally. I mean, the way he performs on the ice, um, I think they'd be idiots to let him go. But if that's the case, if they do sign him to a $9, $10 million contract, either Taves and Kane are going to have to take a pay cut or they're going to have to move some players around. Um, so we'll have to see. I mean, Kyle Davidson now, we're going to see what he does with the franchise. And But I know we talked about some of the veterans. We talked about Taves, Kane. Uh, I But I'm, I'm interested to see your opinion on the Blackhawks' goaltending and how they should fix that. That's my biggest fear right now is their goaltending. They're not going to get it done with Soderblom, Lankinen, Delia, um, I mean, what, what's the next steps in terms of drafting in their future? Do they focus more on goaltending? Do they develop a little more on defense? I mean, what, what do you think they should do? Because like I said, goaltending for me is the scariest part in this Blackhawks organization. And I think they need to improve it sooner rather than later if they want to get back to winning ways. Yeah. And again, I, 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 I'm, I always lean on context because I think in professional sports, you become obsessed with the immediate and sometimes you forget both the history that got you to the point where you are now, 
and then where you're going. And I think in a front office, you have to be mindful of where you're at immediately, but also where you're going in the future. And bluntly, I think one of the things that many fans will point to when you look at what the ultimate legacy is of Stan Bowman as the GM of the Blackhawks is not only did he rebuild the roster that burned down after 2010 around the core and get them a couple more cups, but he lost sight of the development and progression elements that he needed to be aware of to restock the NHL roster with quality from inside cost affordably and sold out too many young guys. I mean, look at what Philip Deneau is doing in these playoffs for the LA Kings. Don't have to, that's just one of many names that we could throw out there, but he sold short on way too many prospects for me. And that's why they kept having band-aids and kept having to overpay guys or try and get a guy to rekindle what he was. I mean, Tyler Johnson's another great example that he's not going to be what he was in 2015. He's not. That's just, you know, the clock is undefeated and he's had too many health issues to go back to being a 30, 40 goal guy. And you can't keep slapping expensive, expensive 30 year old band-aids on holes. You at some point have to have 21, 22 year olds jump into the void, which brings us back to the Blackhawks goaltending situation. They've only got two guys under contract for next year, Arvid Soderblom and Jackson's last name. I can't remember, but the kid they signed from Providence college, who was a really good college goaltender. Um, the organization really likes Arvid Soderblom, and he's been really, really good for Rockford this year. He's gotten increasingly better as the season's gone on. He was magnificent in their play series against Texas in the AHL playoffs. And I think they really think that he's a guy that could emerge with experience as possibly a number one in the National Hockey League in the kind of short to midterm window. The guy that I think everyone wants to see in the NHL yesterday is Drew Camiso, who they drafted in the second round a couple years ago, who's playing college hockey in Boston. Everybody loves him. He's got international experience. He got some run in the Olympics after two straight world juniors got banged for the poor kid because of COVID. Um, but, uh, you know, he's going back to college. I think goaltenders like defensemen take longer to be ready for the NHL game. And so the assumption that he would be ready in – two years, I think might be aggressive. I think if you're looking at a three to four year window, that might be more appropriate for when he might be able to affect the NHL roster, which is where Soderblom comes into the mix and maybe he gets a, a good crack at it. All of that being said, I think if you want him to earn that number one spot, you can't bring back one of Dalia or Lankin in with the expectation that they're the firm number one. And I think we have a pretty good idea of what they are as NHL goaltenders. I think Lankinen could be a very viable backup for a long time in the NHL. Um, but I don't know that I'm ready to, you know, saddle up and ride him for 82 games. Uh, there are going to be some interesting veterans that are out there as either restricted free agents, unrestricted free agents, or potential cap casualties for teams. Um, so I do think that they're going to be active. Kyle Davidson has said he wants to add a veteran presence in the crease. Understandably, you've only got two guys, and one of them hasn't played a lick of pro hockey yet. One, I think, has one year. Uh, Soderblom has one year under his belt, and that's in the AHL with, you know, a little a, a sniff of the United Center, but not much NHL resume to rely on. So, I think Soderblom's definitely in the mix for next year. I do think that the Blackhawks will do something, either via trade or free agency, to solidify the position. But for me, then it becomes I've I've heard so many good things about Soderblom do we have a situation like we had when Stan Bowman didn't want to hand the reins to Corey Crawford fully 
So he went out and brought Marty Turco in to babysit. And Crawford said, screw you, it's mine, and just took the thing, right? That's kind of the situation that I like to see. Maybe somebody with a little more gas in the tank than Turco had when they brought him in. But I'd like to see him bring in somebody that's got a little bit of life left in the skates, could potentially carry you to 40, 45 starts if you need him to, but someone who's definitely there with the understanding that if Soderblom's the better guy, he's going to be the number one, and you're not paying someone 5 or $6 million if the hope is that the young guy who's making 800000 takes the job. So I don't, I'm not a big Thomas Grice guy. I know his name's been thrown around a lot, but you'll definitely start to hear the Blackhawks percolating when you start talking about who's going to be unrestricted, who, who might be restricted, and how aggressively they actually want to go with a 50-50 tandem or if they want to bring in some legitimate NHL-ready competition for him because Georgiev with the Rangers is probably going to be an odd man out and he's a really nice young goaltender who's got some pretty good NHL track record behind him. And he might be a guy that would be more of a 50-50, 60-40, 30 even with Soderblom, who would be a young guy that you could bank on for the next two to three years. And he's a restricted free agent. So uh, you'll, you'll hear some names, but I do think that the Blackhawks are going to have at least one, if not two, goaltenders from outside the organization filling the holes both in Rockford and Chicago. Sure. And if you look at cap friendly and filter out the unrestricted free agent goaltenders this summer, there, like you said, there are some names to consider. Now, I want to ask you about a specific Blackhawks player. In 2019, I had Kirby Doc ranked as the seventh best prospect going into the draft. I had Jack Hughes, Capo Caco, uh, Trevor Zegris, Bowen Byram, Vasily Podkolzin, and Alex Turcott ahead of him. Okay, but that's not here nor there. They took him third, and mm-hmm. I did think he had the ceiling of a gets laugh or a floor of what he is now. I, I just, when I watched him play, I looked at junior film and I saw a similar style of play to gets laugh. That was just my thought on it. Do you believe that he can turn into something more than what he's already been so far? Or is he what he is a bottom six forward on playing center? Maybe he could play some wing or are you thinking he could elevate it beyond that at this point? So I, I, there, there are two parts to that. One is um, the Blackhawks have botched every possible element of his development. And I really love and appreciate and I'm encouraged when I hear Kyle Davidson talk about and as the interim and then permanent GM actually live out the words that development's going to be more patient in the new regime. Because I think he could have used some time in the AHL to get used to the professional game, the physicality, the speed. You know, when you look at a guy of his size, I mean, he's he's physically he's a beast, right? But when you're in junior, when you have his size, you're more times than not going to be the biggest dude on the ice. And so you're going to get away with a lot. And there's a huge learning curve going from junior to the National Hockey League. I would submit that the learning curve at this stage is actually bigger to go from junior straight to the NHL than even the college game in the United States straight to the NHL. And I think you saw some of the Michigan guys jump in. You know, Seattle had a really nice look from Matty Beneers, who I have firmly said is the closest thing to Jonathan Taves that I've seen in a draft since 19 was drafted. But um His first year was broken because of the pandemic. He started to get comfortable. He started to show some flashes. And then COVID shows up. He shut down. When they came back in the bubble, 
he and Adam Boquist, two of the guys that Bowen rushed to the NHL, went completely separate directions. Boquist was scared of his own shadow. And frankly, in the bubble, Kirby Doc was a wrecking ball that was a force to be reckoned with. And so that Kirby Doc is something that encourages me that there is a there there. When he came back the next year, the Blackhawks allowed him to go to the World Juniors. I understand getting high-level international competition under your belt. I don't know the extent to which the Blackhawks knew that Jonathan Taves was going to not play for an entire year at that stage. But they allowed him to go to the World Junior. He breaks his wrist in a warm-up game against Russia and effectively misses, what, 90% of the season, which was already backed up with a short offseason and everything else that was screwed up and all the protocols and everything else. It was the weirdest, most not normal sports year for no matter what league sport you're talking about. Everything was F. And so he's going through that as a sophomore, not being able to play because of a wrist, which, by the way, the wrist is a big deal in hockey, especially at center. And then they rushed him back from that. Like, the ship has already sailed. You're not making the playoffs. You're not a good team. You don't have tapes. And then you try and rush him back from a wrist at the end of the season and force him into a top-line center gig that he was not ready for. He wasn't physically there yet. He was not in game shape. He wasn't ready to go. The wrist was still healing, but they rushed him back. And then you start hearing things. Then you've got Twitter talking about how well he got soft and he got a little chubby around the edges and everything else while he had the wrist problem. Because that's what social media is, especially in a city like Chicago, where we're expecting our young guys to walk in and be gods from the jump because 1988 spoil us. Everybody forgets that Keith and Seabrook and Jalmerson all had learning curves. And in many instances, spent time in the AHL. He didn't. This year he comes in and he continues to struggle at the dot. And that's partially because the organization had mediocre coaching at the NHL level and he wasn't getting the work they needed. But he also, not all of this falls on Stan Bowman in the front office. Kirby Doc needs to learn what it takes to go. And I think part of his learning curve as a young man also is he, his landlord wasn't with him anymore. He was living with Brent Seabrook. And I think living with Brent Seabrook meant a lot to him, especially during the pandemic. And I think that, that he was learning what it needs to be on and off the ice, what you're eating, how you're sleeping, to be a professional. So you take Seabrook out of the mix. He's struggling. The team sucks. You've got all of the off-ice issues. Calton gets run. You bring in Derek King. He's still struggling at the dot. So they tried him at a wing. The Blackhawks need to have someone else at center other than Jonathan Taves winning faceoffs. If Dylan Strom can be a one center, that's great. And I think if Kirby Doc comes back next year and struggles at the dot, I'm totally in favor of seeing what he can do at the wing because the cliche is that you can't teach size, which is true, but you can't teach someone how to use that size and how to bang and how to position yourself to absorb contact. For a guy as big as he is, he gets railroaded way more frequently than he needs to. I had a college football coach that used to say, be the hammer, not the nail. And that poor boy is the nail way too frequently. So he needs to learn how to use his body to create space. Yeah, that that that's a fun one. Like, there's no way that a guy that big should be getting windmilled. But Kurt, there's a lot that you can like about Kirby Doc's game. We've seen flashes of brilliance. We've seen him be tentative. We've seen him frustrated. And I think that where the Blackhawks could benefit is from coming back at a, an affordable bridge deal where you're not paying a top three pick, top three money on a second deal. And you've got maybe two to four years to figure out, is he going to win face-offs? Is he going to learn like Strom did? Or do you need to move him to the wing? 
um, because I do think that there's a there there. And frankly, Vinny, I was the only guy anywhere in North America that projected that the Hawks were going to take Doc at three because he had a couple of things that they did not have in the organization at that time. He had some skill and he was a big ass forward and they didn't have that and they needed that and you can't always trade for it, but you can sure as heck draft it. Um, so depending on what they do at head coach, that's a big deal for Kirby Doc's development, how Kyle Davidson views the next stage of his career, whether they bring him back as a center or if they just say straight up, you're a wing, we're going to put you and Reichel on the sides of Jonathan Taves and just go, great. But the other part of that question is, is Dylan Strome, who's a restricted free agent, back as your one center? Because that's a bigger deal for me than Kirby Doc. They're both RFAs this summer. If Dylan Strome is gone, then you're, again, you're going back to asking Kirby Doc to be a first-line center, and I don't think he's ready for that in the National Hockey League. So to answer your question very broadly and long-windedly, I think that there's a there there. I think that there's a lot of skill that needs to be untapped. I think they need to get him into a comfortable situation and really work on developing him as a hockey player. But I don't know that if it's that that's going to be at the center position at this point. Yeah, you know, I really liked Kirby Doc when the Hawks brought him in. Um, I had higher hopes for him. He's kind of disappointed me. And I'm almost to the, the point in time where I'm ready to say, all right, if he's not going to perform that the way the Hawks thought they would have, maybe it's time to let him go. Maybe it's time to switch things up with him, um, you know, test him out at different positions if you want to put him on wing, whatever, whatever you got to do. Um, but I think one of the, like, one, I've been following you, Tab, for a while, and I, I've, I've read a lot of your different articles. And one of the things I think that everybody loves about you is that you're just so open with your opinion. You're not afraid to tell it like it is. Um, and we mentioned size with Kirby Doc. Do you think size is something that not only for Kirby Doc, but the team needs more overall as a whole? Because I remember back when the Hawks were in their were in their dynasty stage when they were winning three cups in six seasons or whatever, a lot of the games they played, they never led in hits against the opponent just because they didn't have that size. But if you don't if you're always controlling the puck, you don't need to hit because you simply have the puck. And that's the most important part of your game. So do you think they should focus more on size or do you think they should kind of center their stuff around other things in the organization right now? Well, I think if you look at what Kyle Davidson has done with some of the trades that he's made, I think size is definitely something that he's pretty openly made a priority and he hasn't directly said that, but look at the Brandon Hagel deal. Boris Ketchuk is a big boy who throws the body. Taylor Radish, big boy, throws the body. Uh, I, I do think that in the Western Conference, you need to have both size and speed, which is why I think that there's still value with what Kirby Doc brings to the table. But there needs to be a physicality. You can't just be a, a big guy who can skate, who acts like a 5'9 winger and gets hammered all the time because if you're a bigger target, you're going to get hit harder, right? Um but I think one of the things that you said in there is really critically important. And Joel Quinville used to always laugh when reporters would ask him about the hit numbers. You're not hitting if you have the puck. And since Quinville was relieved of his duties, what the Blackhawks have not had, and Jeremy Colton was a, an unmitigated disaster with it, and Derek King was trying to put in a mismatched set of puzzle pieces together and try and figure out what he could do with a roster that really had no continuity at all was develop some systems. You need structure, which kind of goes back to why I'd, I would give anything for Barry Trotz to come here. And I wish that we were 
you know, in that 14 to 16 pick range and not six, because I think you need to have structure and that's going to help the development of young guys like Doc. It's going to help a guy like Taylor Radish, who came out of a really well put together organization in Tampa, who just didn't get an opportunity. I think I was, I loved everything that I saw from Taylor Radish this year. I, th I think that there's a, a very reasonable expectation that he could be a middle six impact forward for the Blackhawks. And size is what he brings to the table. So I think Davidson has already outlined like Curtis Gabriel, who's playing for the Ice Hogs in the playoffs right now. They got him in a minor deal for Chad Chris. He's another banger, right? Probably a career AHL guy, but he's a banger. So every time he brought players back in a deal, you were looking at 6'2", 6'3", 6'4". The weight started with a 2 and not a 1. So you're seeing him address some of the lack of physicality, but it has to be functional physicality. You know, you watch Milan Lucic try and chase guys around the ice at this point, and, you know, you've got a U-Haul chasing Ferraris on the ice. So the NHL's faster now, but size is still an important factor. You're right. And I think what we've seen from Kyle Davidson so far, we don't have a big track record for him, right? We can only go with what we've seen so far and what he's said. But words, to me, in any professional sport, don't mean as much as action. So when you look at his actual body of work, what we have seen is that he values two things, size and draft assets, because he wants to build for the short, medium, and long term, which I love. It's what you have to do. And have the ability to weaponize those picks to improve your roster. And so... I do think size is something that they'll continue to address because they lack it miserably. And I think when you look at having potentially a 10 to $11 million cap commitment to Alex DeBrinkett, who is not a big human being, and you're considering potentially re-upping with Patrick Kane, who is not a big human being, you need to balance that. you got to have somebody out there that's going to actually make the other team think twice about laying some wood to one of your guys. So um, I like what Davidson's done so far, and I do think that size will be a priority for them as they go shopping this summer. And, try and put together an NHL roster that maybe isn't a Stanley Cup contender next year, but it's at least competitive and it's more nights than not. You're not going to be as frustrated as you were this year or last year. Before we let you go, Frankie and I are just dying to know. Have you enjoyed the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs so far? Who you got winning the whole thing? Is anybody down 3-2 going to come back? What do you think? Uh, I've loved it. I think that it's been one of the more compelling first rounds that I can remember in a while. You've had some great series, I think. Going in, I thought that St. Louis, Minnesota was going to be worth the price of admission. It has been. Uh, there have been some surprises. I think the LA Kings are playing out of their mind right now, which is really fun to watch. Um, massive disappointment in the New York Rangers. I really thought that there was more there. Um, I think that they'd made some really sneaky good moves at the deadline, but I feel like they need to go get an alpha to help the offense. I think the the blue line was good. The goaltending was good, though they probably rode Shesterkin too much in the regular season, and he's out of gas. But they needed to go find somebody that was going to give them a really off a big, significant offensive push to join Kreider and Panarin and uh, the guys that they have up front, Zabinajad. They needed one more guy to really make you two lines deep of really being able to score at will. And they really don't have that, and their systems have failed. And I, I think Gallant is going to have a really hard conversation if they get knocked out in five by Pittsburgh. Um, I don't think he gets fired, but I think that there are going to be some questions about his inability to adjust and calling his team soft, which they have been. And the players have to execute. Uh, but I think that he hasn't, he's been outcoached in that series. Uh, but these have been great playoffs. I've loved it. Playoff hockey is the greatest playoffs in sports no matter what. Um, and I'm really excited to see how this thing shapes out. But I've had Colorado winning the Cup since August of last year, and the way that they're playing right now. I mean, look, Nashville was not a playoff team. They got in, God bless, but they weren't good enough. 
I just don't know how anybody is going to knock Colorado off. Because you look at the next stage, obviously the Blackhawks care about Minnesota possibly upsetting them and getting into the conference final because Flurry could give the Blackhawks a first rounder this year if he wins four games in the first two rounds and they get past Colorado. But I don't know how you bang for six or seven games with St. Louis and get the hell beat out of you and then go play the first two games at Elevation in Denver and survive. And Elevation's a very real thing. And that's going to be a, the biggest home ice advantage in the playoffs because they've got speed for days. They've got the physicality that you want. And their home ice has the X factor if you can't breathe. So I'm riding Colorado to the cup in the Eastern Conference. I don't have a damn clue because I expected Florida to just trounce people. And they are getting absolutely every penny that they can handle in this first round matchup. So um, Toronto, you know, I would look out for Toronto because it felt like that game-winning goal that Austin Matthews scored last night. You could almost see the monkey come off his back. That was your, oh, crap, it's real. We're going to do this moment like the Blackhawks had in 2010 when they beat Nashville. You know, the Patrick Kane shorty, and then Hosa comes out of the box, and it was gravy from there because Nashville, I, I will submit to my dying date, that Nashville series was the hardest series they had in 2010. And it felt like that was the moment for Austin Matthews last night that he has officially put, as I said before, action means more than words. And at the end of last year and at times this year, he said, I've got the individual awards. I've led the league in scoring. doesn't mean a damn thing if you don't win. And it felt like last night he married the potential to the actual winning. And so that's a scary proposition because that team is loaded for bear and they've got to go for it because the cap realities in Toronto, they're not going to be able to keep this band together much longer. Uh, and so I think that they've got a sense of urgency that this is maybe the last time that that group is in the room together. And Austin Matthews put him on his back and carried him to a win last night. And we'll see how far he can take him uh, because it isn't like Tampa's going to roll over and send him a bouquet of flowers and just let him walk out the door and sick. So, um, but these have been great playoffs. I love it. Uh, but I'm riding Colorado all the way to the cup. Awesome. Um, great more. <laughs> Yeah, Frankie picked Colorado too, and both Frankie and I picked the Kings. We had a little disagreement with our other co-host who couldn't be here, Joey. And but yeah, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs versus Tampa Bay Lightning series has been a very heated discussion on this show. So thank you for the support on the Leafs on that. Frankie doesn't appreciate it, and I do, and we appreciate you coming on very, very much. Do you want to promote what you're doing right now before you log off? Yeah, sure. So for anybody that uh, follows me on Twitter. Uh, you might have noticed last week that uh, I made the move from uh, being independent at CommittedIndians.com over to Bleacher Nation. So come over to Bleacher Nation, check us out. And uh, if, you, if you're looking for something fun to read, uh, I had a Blackhawks book come out in October of last year, uh, which you can go find on Amazon if you search for my name. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to a fascinating future in Chicago because I think for the first time in more than a decade, we have a lot of unknowns. We don't have tendencies to predict against. It's a learning curve for everyone. And I think that that's a very daunting but exciting proposition for where they're at in the history of the franchise. Sure. Frank, is there anything you want to say before we let Tap go? No, I'm just glad you came on the show and gave your opinions and all the answers to all our questions. Like I said, I've been following you for a while. I love your content. I love just how open you are about everything. So just thank you again for taking time out of your day to do this for us. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Tab. It was my pleasure to have you on, and hopefully we'll have you back on sometime soon. It was a pleasure, boys. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Everybody, that's Tab Bamford. Make sure you find him at BleacherNation.com, covering the Chicago Blackhawks. And with that, 
we will send you to a quick commercial break. Zim, Joe, Vinny, and Gonzo join these White Sox fanatics every Monday night for the South Burbs Hitmen. You're going to be treated to great guests, top analysis, smart debates. South Burbs Hitmen with Zim, Joe, Vinny, and Gonzo only on the Barroom Network. And we would like to send you to period number two. Welcome to period two. Tab saw Joey imitate Chewbacca. He's like, I'm never going on that show ever again. <laughs> He's probably like, thank God he wasn't here today. Yeah, don't don't need that guy at all. What do you think, pal? Huh? What do you think? I thought, what, about the period one? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was incredible. I mean, I, I, I asked him, you know, he gave a lot of good answers to a lot of questions we asked. So I'm glad I asked him the questions I did. Um, he's a very knowledgeable writer. I know Tom Mangarelli, as you saw in chat, he was the first comment that said welcome. He's a huge Tab fan. Um, he's been following committed Indian, Indian, committed Indians probably since Tab started it 13 years ago. So, I mean, I just think this was a – person that a lot of the fans of the show wanted to see and ultimately he delivered and i'm grateful that he took the time out of his day to you know give us what we wanted so i always love when i come across somebody that i am but just by listening to them this might sound arrogant by listening to them i know that they know as much about hockey as me you joey the the true diehard fans and media people Tab is one of those people. So absolutely. And I just I love all the information he spews, you know. He's just yeah. got so much knowledge about the game of hockey. And ultimately that's that's great that we're able to help broadcast him and bro- help broadcast his knowledge to a, a, a different audience that yeah. some people might not see Tab as much, you know. Some people might not read his content as much or whatever, but this is a chance to like showcase him and his voice to other an, a, another audience of people. Yeah, and I got that text from Tom yesterday suggesting to look into having him on at some point. And he, he goes next season. I'm like, <laughs> next season, who? How about tomorrow? We'll get tab next season too. We'll get him midsummer. I, we'll reach out to him. But the second I, I realized that I wanted it tomorrow, I was like, I, I worked on it all day yesterday. And it really wasn't until 1130 PM last night that it became like officially official that he would be on our show today. So thank you tab so much for coming on. It was a great time. Um, Blackhawks got a lot of work to do. We'll, we'll see how that goes. It's a big summer ahead. It's the first summer of the quote unquote, Kyle Davidson takeover rebuild, whatever the heck you want to call it. We'll see what happens, but the task at hand right now going forward is the 2022 Stanley cup playoffs where things have just been unreal. in the beginning, all the games for the most part were blowouts, but they would rotate who blew out who. The Blues blew out the Wild, then the Wild blew out the Blues, then the Wild blew out the Blues again, then the Blues blew out the Wild. Finally, that game was – they had a close match yesterday, and the Blues took a 3-2 three to, three to two series lead. Of course, the Boston Bruins went down 3-2, the Tampa Bay Lightning went down 3-2, and the Edmonton Oilers went down 3-2. All four of those teams are on the brink as of right now after yesterday's game. What is your takeaway? Which series is the most surprising? Like, do you think any of those four teams are going to come back? I'm, I'm sure there's going to be at least 
there are some more games game fives tonight. I'm guessing there's at least three game sevens between every series. Some will end in six. We'll see. But I mean, what's your takeaway from the four teams that are on the brink right now? Well, I'll break not down. including not including the Rangers. We'll get to them in a minute. They're on the well, brink. Yeah, too. I'll break down time. all four of the teams who are on the brink or that you mentioned. Um, well, first of all, game five is the most important game in a series, especially if the series is tied two two. It flips to become the more important for the home team in that series, if you're the home team in game five and you lose game five, you're in deep shit. Um, and I'd like to break down the teams that we talked, we just talked about. You mentioned the wild going down three, two to the blues. I think they're in trouble for the reason I just stated you lose game five at home. Now you got to go to St. Louis. It's not going to be easy. You got to win back to back, but your first stop is running through St. Louis. So I, I think the wild are in trouble. Um, also, the Bruins. The Bruins are in a little bit different situation because Game Five was in Carolina. So now Game Flip, Game Six flips back to go to the TD Garden in Boston. But the only problem I have is that the Carolina Hurricanes are good. They could win at any time. I mean, a road team hasn't won in the series yet, which you know that obviously favors the Bruins. But I think the Hurricanes are just too good to keep them down. And I had a phone call with Joey yesterday, and he agreed on how crucial Game Five was yesterday for both the Bruins and the Hurricanes. And it's just the the, the Hurricanes played a lot better yesterday. Um, I think personally that was the worst I've seen the Bruins play in the first two per- the first two periods in the 2022 playoffs so far. Then they decided to show up later in the third period. That's just something you can't do with the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, I've been, we have our ups and downs, and we have our disputes about the Lightning. I think out of the Wild, the Bruins, and the Lightning, I think the Lightning would be the most likely to win their series just because they're coming home now for Game 6. And if they win Game 6 and it goes to Toronto, I'm still not high on them at home. They've been good in, at the playoffs at home, but I don't know if pressure is going to get to them. I, I like the Lightning, honestly, still. I, out of the, all the teams we mentioned, I think they have the best opportunity. And then we saw the Kings last night. I think Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl played out of their minds yesterday. The Kings were up 3-1 to one in the third, 4-2 to two in the third, but ultimately it was just absolutely crazy. The way Dreisaitl kicked it into full gear in the third period and Connor McDavid kicked it into full gear in the third period. I was actually getting nervous that the Oilers were going to end up winning in regulation, but at the start of overtime, it seemed like something went wrong and that they were not the same uh, team that they came out in the third. They were flat. The Kings controlled the whole overtime and ultimately they won the game. And now they hold a three, two series lead with it coming back to crypto.com arena. I favor the Kings. Now I picked the Kings to win the series. I said the Kings in seven. I wouldn't be surprised if the Kings win in seven, but when they, when you have your two best players on your team, the Oilers play that good and you still lose. I don't know. I don't think that's good momentum. I think it favors the Kings now. But we should see, yeah. I mean, they're all on the brink, and like you said, we got some game fives tonight. I'm excited. Yeah, it's interesting to me. So from my perspective, I think the Wild are toast. Um, I want them to win. That's my favorite team in the Western Conference. Um, If Flurry or if they switch to Talbot, come out and, like, dominate on the road, it wouldn't surprise me too much because Kirill the Thrill Kaprizov has been outstanding as well. He had two goals again yesterday. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they forced game seven. I actually, I, I think I might've picked the wild in seven thinking that, Oh, they got, they're going to have to go get a, a nice road win to force game seven at home. And then I think the wild would have a chance at home. Yesterday's game was close. This is my favorite series there. 
I would say, in the Western Conference in terms of intrigue. Um, as far as the Bruins and the Canes, you brought up how every home team has won. And we've seen that before in the playoffs. We've seen that a couple times in our lives. Um, but I don't think I've ever seen the home team blow out the road team in every single game. I mean, that has literally happened so far. Every road team looked like dog shit. It's not even – they weren't even competitive games. Um, the Hurricanes dummied the Bruins in the first two, and the Bruins dummied the Hurricanes in the second two. I know the Hurricanes scored first in both games, but they kind of, in both Boston games, but I, it was kind of like – it was a little luck, like bad break and went the other way. Then the Bruins dominated the rest of the way. It's almost like whoever has last change in that series just gets to dominate the chess match and, you know, have Bergeron – go up against Svechnikov and Ajo in Boston and the power play goes in Boston, but it can't score for its life in Carolina. It's honestly strange to me. I think the Bruins are going to force game seven. And then the one thing I'll take away is how good they played in the third period. They now have a blueprint on how to play well against the Hurricanes in Carolina. And if there's a core that's in the NHL right now, besides Tampa, that can go to school on something like that, it's Boston. Um, As far as the Leafs, it wouldn't shock me if the Lightning Force game seven, I think the Leafs will win one of the next two. I do. They, every time it looks like they're finally going to break, they don't. And like Tab said, Austin Matthews is on another level. He has shown now to me, that he can take it into the playoffs. And this Leafs team, even if they lose to the Lightning and they're, they're the defending champs move on, the Leafs are not frauds for me. It's already been proven. Uh, my my faith in the Leafs and how good their core is, they're going up against the team with a Hall of Famer at every position. I said that before the playoffs even started. And we'll see what happens there. This has been an outstanding series. When the Lightning went up 2 nothing yesterday, too, this is another thing. The Lightning were up 2-0, and it really looked like, oh, crap. The Leafs are going to do it again. They're going to win that. They're going to go up 2-1 and then not win again in the whole series, and they're going to like kind of get dominated and en route to that. They got shit on on Sunday, and they're going to let that happen again at home? And then they started to come back. Nylander was brutal mm. in that game on Sunday, and then he was brutal in the first period yesterday. And then he turned on the Jets in the second half of the game. And, man, did he look good. Oh, boy. And when William Nylander's cooking, it's almost like he's the X factor because every team in the playoffs has a best player, right? You know, it's Kucherov for Tampa Bay. It's Marshawn for Boston. Ajo for Carolina. You know, every team has a best player. Every team has a second best player that's probably close to their first best player. Tavares, Marner, um, uh, Svechnikov. With the light or with the Maple Leafs, Nylander is like their fourth best player. And if the fourth best player comes to play like that, that's what separates cup teams from non-cup teams. Remember when the Blackhawks were really good? Who was their fourth best forward? Um, it was Patrick Sharp. I, Patrick I was going to say Saad, but I don't know what when you were. Talking about, I, I think Sharp was their fourth best forward from 2009 to 2015. 
it would for certain go Kane, Taves, Hosa, Sharp for me. You think better than Sad? Yeah, I but do. But Sad, he came later. Yeah, I, I think just in you know, if you're Sharp talking about people who were with the team from 2000, you know what I mean? For the, yeah. for the longer period of time. Yeah, Patrick Sharp, absolutely. And Sharp consistently scored 30. He was a dynamite in the playoffs. He probably he could have won the Con Smythe Trophy in 2013. I don't know. I just think the world of Patrick Sharp, I think he was their fourth best player. That was the difference between them and Tampa in 2015. The difference between them and Boston in 2013. Like, he was just unbelievable, and that's what I see in Nylander. Mm-hmm. These guys who can score 30 goals, be the second forward on a line, the fourth best forward on the team, just outstanding stuff from him. So that's where I'm at on that series. I think the Leafs hang on. The Oilers, Kings. I don't know. I just don't know. McDavid called out his teammates for their dog shit performance in overtime. And that might resonate with them. We've seen captains, especially elite ones like that, who back up their talk like McDavid. We've seen that work in the past. We've also seen it fall on its face. So if the oil came back and won, at least forced game seven back in Edmonton, I wouldn't be too surprised. The Oilers are becoming what you think the Leafs are. And, yeah, all these great players, great regular seasons, scoring titles, Rocket Richards, go win a game. I want to see I, – I picked the Kings. I want to see Edmonton force game seven on the road. I do. I, like, be entertaining, play well, and I, I think they could win. So if, I had, if I'm p- making my picks, I think – the Wild will force game seven, and then that could be a crapshoot. Uh, I guess you could say the same for all of these series. Every team down could force game seven, and I would be 0% surprised. Um, the Blues are on home ice, which hurts them, and the Kings are on, which hurts the Wild, and the Kings are on home ice in game six, which hurts the Oil. So the Lightning and the Bruins at least get to go home and try and force game seven, which I think works in their favor. We will see. Before all that happened, the 16-team pool became the 15-team pool when the Colorado Avalanche swept the Nashville Predators out of the first round. I saw a couple of your tweets. I heard your prediction last week. Not too shocking in the world of being. No, not really. I mean, they ultimately prove why they finished second in the league and why they're so good. It's tough to sweep any team. I don't care what sport it is. It's tough to sweep an MLB series if you're just playing three games on every given week or four games or two games. I mean, sweeps are come at a premium, especially like in the playoffs when, you know, it's the only chance you have to sweep in the National Hockey League because there's not many ser- uh, like regular just series in the regular season. But they dominated. I mean, it wasn't just a sweep. It was a domination of a sweep. They outscored Nashville 21-9 to in the series, which kind of, you know, it's a little payback for when the Nashville Predators swept the Hawks back in 2017, and the Hawks only were able to score three goals against them. So they got a little bit of the taste of their own medicine here. But I think what makes Colorado so good is that they don't mind playing from behind. In the third period, the Nashville Predators had a lead. But Colorado still won with ease. They just, it's, they took over. It's like as soon as uh, Nashville has a little taste of victory, Colorado's right on their tails, ready to just take that all away from them. And I, I mean, it's just, it's just been incredible to watch, honestly. I mean, they're, they're a wagon. And like Tab says, I don't know who's going to dethrone them. Now that they're, they have all this rest, they got all this time in the world, which could also work against you. But, 
I don't know. They look phenomenal. Kale McCarr has been a stud. This whole team's just on a different planet. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I think I think that they can be defeated. I think there are three teams that could do it in the West, but I, I'm not saying they will. I'm certainly not saying they will. So we'll see what happens with them. It's kind of an easy thing to talk about. They swept them out. We're going to get to some Con Smythe, some early Con Smythe Trophy talk after we're done wrapping up all the series. There's a guy. There's two guys, really, but Colorado, they're really good. So the Pittsburgh Penguins are up 3-1 to one over the New York Rangers. Um, it's a little surprising to a lot of people, not me, because I believed that Shesterkin was the Rangers in the regular season this year. Of course, Kreider scored 50 goals. Panarin... Panarin had one of the great assist seasons of all time. He only had like 20-something goals and still got close to 100 points. Like, he had one of the great assist years ever. Um, Zabanajad is awesome. I'm firmly of the opinion that if Lafreniere and Kako were as good as advertised when they were drafted, this would be a cup team. Um, because if you combined Kako and Lafreniere as like, let's pretend they were as good as he, Shear, and Hughes, for example – just two random names that I picked out of a hat from similar drafts to them. Um, I think they absolutely would fare better in this series, but this is the best we've seen Sidney Crosby play since winning the cup in 2017. I mean, I'm pretty sure there was that one game that they really killed the Rangers and he's his line outchanced his opponent's line 28 to two, which is just insane. Like this is Selkie trophy level stuff from Sid in the two-way game and he's just incredible and he's taken over this series the Rangers were all Shesterkin the second he starts giving up goals the Rangers lose Mm -hmm. um there was a game he had a bad game against the Devils back I want to say it was in March or February it was one of those and once the Devils got a couple passes the Rangers couldn't score so it's interesting to me everybody thinks they're like this high power team they're not their goals per game is not great. And the Penguins are taking it to them. I think the Penguins get it done tonight at Madison Square Garden. They have the formula. Mike Sullivan's the best coach in the NHL. I've said that on this show many times. Um, he He's really helped the Penguins shut down what should be a better Rangers team. But we'll see what happens. What are your thoughts? You know what this proves just now that the Penguins are up 3-1? to one? It proves that goaltending can't win you solely on its own playoff series. It can win you playoff games, but it's not if you just have good goaltending but nothing else, it's not going to win you a series. I mean, look at the Wild. I said that too when they went out and get Flurry. They could get Flurry. They have Talbot, two amazing, probably one of the greatest tandems in the NHL right now. It's not going to win you the series. They might lose the series. Look at the Kings. Um, well, the Kings are a different story, but what I'm getting at is. The reason the Penguins, I think, are winning is they, they also got that experience. The Kings, they got that experience. You got Jonathan Quick, multiple Stanley Cup, two-time Stanley Cup champ, Anze Kopitar, Dustin Brown. You got a lot of experience on this team who know how to beat the best teams or teams that are better than you. I mean, the Kings were winning playoff series and winning the Cup when they finished as the eighth seed, right? They have that. Sidney Crosby, like you said, he's playing out of his mind. He's got two goals, seven assists, nine points. That is what you want to see from a Hall of Fame player. You want that experience. Edmonton, they don't have a lot of playoff experience, or when they do, they don't go deep. 
You know, it's just, I mean, with the Penguins, um, the Rangers, I mean, they've had playoff experience with Lundqvist, but Lundqvist never won a cup. So, I mean, the Penguins know how to win in these situations, and they're just proving that goaltending is not just going to win you series, win you series. You want that. You want your top guys to come out. You want that experience. And it's it's proving the fact that uh, the Penguins are probably going to end up winning this series. Um, we'll see what happens in game five. But, yeah, Pens are up three to one. And I've been, I've been loving the playoffs. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. And eventually teams get over the hump. You heard Tab mention it. The Hawks beat Nashville in 2010. Yeah. Like sometimes eventually got to get that experience somehow. Yeah. I just, I don't, I said this one time when we played one of our games in the third period. I don't like the Rangers setup for the future because all they rely on is their veterans and their goaltending. And when a guy like Crosby can shut down some of those veterans, and score, do some scoring himself. He, Jake Gensel scored two goals five seconds apart. Not literally, but it seemed like it. Um, Evgeny Malkin's having a good series. I love Brian Rust. Um, Zucker finally on the board. That could change things for Pittsburgh if he starts going with the scoring. So I like that team. I think they could make a run maybe. But if they play Toronto or Tampa, I might not pick them. But if they beat them, I wouldn't be too surprised. So... We'll see what happens there. That's the one game tonight that could – that's the one series that goes tonight that could end. The other two games tonight, the Calgary Flames against the Dallas Stars and the Washington Capitals versus the Florida Panthers. They're all set for game fives. Is there a team tonight where if they lose, they will lose in six, in your opinion? And is there a team tonight where if they lose, they could force game seven later on this week? Like what are your thoughts on each of the series? Start whatever direction you want. Um, well, I got to be honest with you. I'm very surprised that it's tied in both these series after four games. Me too. I would have, I would have never guessed it ever. Both to be teams, honest with you. both teams that you consider inferior though, have been in the Stanley cup final within the last three years. That is right. to the experience and, and, thing. and that's what I'm telling you about the experience. I, I, it's, it makes a big difference. Trust me. But I was not – the way Florida was playing going into the playoffs, I was not expecting it to be 2-2 going back to Florida. Are you kidding me? And the way Dallas – I mean, Dallas came out in game one looking so flat. I mean, they weren't getting a lot of shots on goal, and but let alone they win two games. And now if Dallas wins tonight, I don't know. I, I So here's – to answer your question, if – I think the Panthers are going to win tonight. On home ice, they're the better team. We'll see. I think that if the Panthers lost, they could force game seven. If Calgary loses tonight, I think they're in trouble. I think it might end in six. To be honest with you, I have Calgary advancing, but the way Dallas has shown, if you're going into Calgary and you win this crucial game, remember what I said about game fives at home for the home teams, how crucial they are. If you, if Dallas goes into Calgary and they beat them and you're going home now with that experience that we talked about, to close out the series against a series a series where you're ultimately shouldn't win on paper, I think it might end in six. But to me, if the Panthers and Colorado win tonight, I think they're both going to win the series. Or not Colorado. If the Panthers and Calgary win tonight, I think they're both going to win the series. But yeah. if Panthers lose, they could force game seven. If Calgary loses, I think it might end in six. Wow. That's an impressive answer. I wasn't expecting you to say that. I think both games end in overtime. 
I just have a funny feeling about tonight. I think some crazy stuff's going to happen. The series is once series get longer, they get wankier. If that makes sense. Like if a team does what they're supposed to do in a series, normally that means it ended early. Once start, once the series starts to push five, six, seven games with no clear better team, which is what we have in both of these games, I would say, because Washington and Dallas have outperformed everybody. Nobody can trash talk any of them, even if they end up losing the series, because we all know how great Washington's been over the last decade. Same for Dallas. Um, the thing about Dallas, they seem to have like an attitude. Like somebody asked Jamie Ben about Kachuk not wanting to fight him. And Jamie Ben just in the most monotone, calm voice goes, he's a smart kid. <laughs> like, you know, like, I'll kick your ass if you try to fight me. You know, who are you, Matthew Kachuk? Like, Dallas has a nice attitude, yeah. and I like their defense. Klingberg, um, Ryan Suter's outstanding. He's always sound defensively. Um, whom, oh, Heiskanen, outstanding. Mm-hmm. So it's a good team in Dallas, and they kind of get a little bit from everybody. I know Robertson is the engine that drives their offensive tank there, but Joe Pavelski's there, Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan, um, Radulov. It's it's just a good, solid team, and they get good goaltending. So we'll see what happens there. I'm going to pick Calgary and Florida to each win, but those were my picks for the series. Um, At least one of them will go seven is my prediction. And I, I don't want to get you confused. I do think Calgary and Panthers are going to win the series. Like, those are my picks. I, I agree with you. Those I, I think they ultimately pull it out. I was just saying that if Calgary does lose, then I think they're in trouble and Dallas might win the series. That's, yeah. that's all I'm saying. But if I had to, like, bet my life on it or whatever, somebody, you know, if, if I had to just tell you who I think is going to win, I think Calgary and Florida pull it out. Yeah. I think the most disrespected team in the NHL this season has been the Washington Capitals because we called them the dog meat team making the playoffs and they were the eight seed and they're the only team in the East with no chance. They heard assholes like us saying that. <laughs> they did. Yeah. And they're like, you think us? Like we have Ovechkin and Oshi and Kuznetsov and Backstrom and Carlson and two pretty good goaltenders in Vitek Vanacek and uh, Ilya Samsonov. Like, Marcus Johansson's back. We have this Connor McMichael kid who's been one of the pretty good rookies this year. Like, who are you to say that were the – there's a reason that there was a 15-point gap between the eighth-place team and the ninth-place team. Don't say we're the bad ones. And they're playing like it against Florida. Even if Florida ends up winning, Washington has my respect. The winner of this series could go far. I believe that. And – We'll see what happens. I'm very much looking forward to it. I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier in the show. Um, early Con Smythe trophy talk. Is there anybody that sticks out to you so There's far? One. I know it's really early, but the Con Smythe trophy is, you know, it's for the whole playoffs. So the first round counts. I have one guy where if this team won the cup, if they, you know, they just went on a steamroll, continues performing at the level that he has so far, I think it's a it's a God-given fact that he'll win the consummate. Honestly, I go on the record and say that right now. I have a guy in close second, too, I'll mention both, who were, if they won the cup, I think hands down that he would win the consummate. But right now, if I had to choose a consummate winner, it's Kale McCarr. I knew Three- it. <laughs> I mean, I how agree. could you not? How That's could you not? Guy. Three I goals, agree. seven assists. 10 points, 
from a defenseman where no. points are premium in the playoffs. An OTGWG. What else could you ask for from a defenseman? I mean, he's we're the best overtime defenseman I've ever seen. Eric he, Carlson. He's so quick. Eric Carlson, uh, Brent Burns, Bobby Orr, name them. Kale McCarr is the best overtime defenseman I've ever seen. They didn't have expanded ice overtime when Bobby Orr played. I don't even know why I said him, but you know what I mean. I, oh, I know what you mean. And when Calgary, or oh my God, I keep getting saying Colorado Calgary. When Colorado is getting 10 points from Kale McCarr in four games, let's not forget four games. The series hasn't gone five, six, four games, averaging more than. Two points per game. It's like 2.25 or something like that per game. And they don't need any more scoring. So what is this kid doing? That's ultimately why they're, they sweeped the, the Predators. You know, Predators were dealing with a lot of injuries. But come on. I, I think he's the clear favorite. Now, my second guy I was telling you about, I think would be Sidney Crosby if they were able to make it to the Cup. He's got nine points. If he's performing at the level he is right now and the Pittsburgh Penguins find a way to win the Stanley Cup – there is nobody else on that team who would win it other than Sidney Crosby. He he's just unreal right now with nine points. He's not behind. Um, uh, he's not. I don't even know what I was going to say there. He's not. Whatever. But he's got nine points. Um, but that series isn't over yet either. So he has chances to improve and pass Kale McCarr in this first round because they're not going to be playing. So I think if the Penguins get to the Stanley Cup, hands down, Crosby. If Colorado wins, and right now, Kale McCarr is my favorite to win the Smythe. Yeah, I agree, because I think Colorado has a good chance to win the Cup. He'd be the guy right now. If Boston comes back, Brad Marchand, nine points. Um, Leon Dreisaitl will remain in the mix because of that, but Connor McDavid also has you know, two more points than him. Edmonton, we'll see how far they could go. A name that sticks out to me, Austin Matthews. Seven points. If the Leafs make a cup run, they'll they'll give it to all him. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. I'm excited about it. I know it. I know it's very early. Some people are probably like, "Con Smythe, what are these guys talking about? Like the first round is just over half over. What are we even?" Uh, these games count towards the Con Smythe trophy. If Austin Matthews wins the cup and leads the playoffs with. 23 points i think anywhere from 23 to 30 is like the average to lead the playoffs in scoring i know there was that one crazy year where crosby had like 32 and malkin had 31 or something crazy like that the kunitz was up there too um those seven of those points are like in these first five games between tampa and toronto so like what do they count they count just the same the leaders start now so uh, Scott brings up Mikhail's OT, OT goal oh, versus I the – That was one of the prettiest goals I've ever seen a defenseman score. And Scott, I, why I, did you have to bring it up? I might have started saying that take because of that game. So I don't know. He's outstanding. He's, He's outstanding. And, man, Kale McCarr. He made the Avalanche go from a cup contender to a bigger cup contender. That's kind of how I see the whole thing. And the Hawks let them get Bowen Byram. <laughs> Bowen Byram's been their fourth best defenseman, and he's been amazing. He's been so good. But uh, Gerard and Devin Taves get more uh, minutes than him. But you, you're for the next five years or more, they're going to have Bowen Byram, Kale McCard, Devin Taves, and Sam Gerard. <laughs> that team's going to be so good. Shout out to the Colorado Avalanche. They're fun to watch, man. So that's period number two. 
we went over the playoffs as a whole. Got some, we got some more stuff to touch on. I think with, it's playoff season, so we're playoff guys. Um, we're gonna have a a rather fun conversation coming up here in period number three. Welcome to period three. Before we get into things, I want to kind of do what we've been doing the last couple weeks here. We've gone over a prospect a week. We don't have to talk about it too long, but I just want to gather some thoughts and get a, get plant the seed a little bit because we'll dive deep into these guys when the draft is here. But mm-hmm. I wanted to start planting seeds. Two weeks ago, we talked about Shane Wright, who's going to go number one, we think. Um, we talked last week about Logan Cooley, who I think could absolutely be a top five pick this year. Well, the guy we're going to talk about this week is Simone Nemec. He's a defenseman out of Slovakia. He's probably the only defenseman that will be taken in the top five. What do you got on this guy? Simon Nemec, right? That's how you say it, Nemec. Uh, what did I say? Nemec. Did I say Simone? Simon? Is it? Si- I mean, it's probably Simone. It probably. might. Be. It's either it's Simone Simon, or Simon. I don't know. But Nemec. Um, Nemec. Uh, all right. So we got a six-one defenseman. Um, another big guy, tall guy. Um, he's not, he, I think I have written down that personally probably goes five or six in that range. I don't think he's, it, it all ultimately depends who's looking for a defenseman, you know, and who, who jumps on the opportunity. If some scouts really for a certain team really want him, they're going to take him. Um, I think he goes anywhere from five to six and could honestly, maybe fall anywhere to eight to nine, not likely because I think he's better than that. But I mean, there is always that chance. I don't think he's going to go third. If anything, the earliest he goes is fourth. So fourth through six, maybe is my range for him. He's a two way defenseman. Um, he's got a lot, a lot of speed and that's what you need in the national hockey league. We talk about why Colorado's so good. They got a lot of speed. This kid's got a lot of speed. The only thing is he's not going to score a ton of goals, even though he is a two-way. He's, he does good on offense, good on defense. But what he does the best on offense is he gets pucks to the net, which is a good thing. When you get pucks to the net, always a chance that it goes in. If you're getting that from a defenseman, you never know who's going to stand in front of the net, tip it in, or maybe just one of your shots gets lucky and goes in. Um, but, yeah, he's he's also great at forcing turnovers. We I, we, we, I don't know who's going to take him. Like I said, it all depends that – who's looking for a defenseman, but ultimately he's a good prospect and he could go in the top five and probably a good chance he ends up fourth or fifth. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. And we'll get to where I think he has a chance to go. When we talk about this, of course, last night was the 2022 NHL draft lottery. The winners of the draft lottery were the Montreal Canadians and the New Jersey devils who moved up three spots to go from five to two and Montreal had the best odds and they won it. It's the first time since 2018 that the team with the best odds won the draft lottery. Um, Didn't it happen last year or no? Remember? No, I think did Buffalo. I thought Buffalo was two last year. Maybe. I don't remember. Maybe Buffalo was one. Maybe it was last year. And that was the first time since 2018. Either way, Montreal has the top pick. Um, they're going to take Shane Wright, I think. The draft is in Montreal. It's the first time that the draft lottery or the First overall pick will be selected by the home crowd since now I'm drawing a blank on what year it was. It was in the 70s or 80s when the Leafs did it. So mm-hmm. it's going to be fun to see that. I do think the Devils have a chance to take Simone Nemec. 
at two overall. They're one of the teams in the top five that have a need at defense. Devils have a need at wing too, which is why I think who we're going to talk about next week is probably the leading candidate for them to take at two. But there are three guys total that I think could go to the Devils at two, and Nemec and Cooley are both those two people. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I'm not sure. The third overall pick, I believe – I didn't even remember who was the third overall pick. Was it – oh, the Arizona Coyotes. Mm -hmm. So – I'm kind of happy Arizona didn't win it just because who wants to Oof, see Shane? That would have been bad. I, I just don't want to see Shane Wright play yeah. at Arizona State. Mm-hmm. If I they agree. had a rink, I'd be cool with it. I want the Coyotes to be good, but, like, I want 20,000 people a night. They're a disgrace right now, so. Yeah, yeah. we'll see what happens there, um, which that reminds me. I didn't have this written down, but talking about the Arizona Coyotes, the Chicago Blackhawks are going to host a game in Milwaukee next year where the Milwaukee Bucks play. And A, I want to go to that game with you. And B, it makes me wonder if they're kind of like feeling out hockey in Milwaukee a little bit. Maybe the Coyotes go become, you know, a Milwaukee team. They're already in the Central Division. I don't know. That, that's just my It'd be a little mm-hmm. weird. In they my opinion, hockey. having two a Minnesota team. Or no, Milwaukee, no, Wisconsin. Yeah, hockey. I know. I'm they getting I'm getting love. mixed up. They love hockey in Wisconsin. I mean, you go there. And you yeah, then, no, it wouldn't be that hockey. weird. I think green. When I think of Wisconsin, I think of green. I think because of the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. So it's just, I just, and the Bucks. I mean, yeah, they like their green. Yeah. But the Minnesota or the Wisconsin Badgers hockey club, the Big Ten loves having them, and it's a big program in college hockey. They're always good. Um, it wouldn't shock me at all if the Coyotes became the, the Green Bay something or the Milwaukee something. It really wouldn't. And – I don't know. You go there. It's a nice three-way mix of wild Red Wings and Blackhawks fans in Wisconsin. You get a little bit of everybody up there, and it'd be really cool to see hockey come to Wisconsin one day. Um, Be another team to make fun of from Chicago points of view. But back to the lottery, I'm very happy the Devils moved up. They're going to get a really good player, and you could check out on pucksandpitchworks.com either tomorrow or the next day. I will have my three most likely players that the Devils could take at two and why. And of course, if you watch Bar Down Talking Hockey, you get a little preview into the articles. Two of the three will be Logan Cooley and Simone Nemec. Of course, the third guy is the prospect that we will talk about next week. So make sure you tune in for that as well. A couple days ago, the NHL announced the Norris Trophy nominees are Kale McCarr of the Colorado Avalanche, Roman Yossi of the Nashville Predators, and Victor Hedman of the Tampa Bay Lightning. We'll make, we'll go through with Joey and make all of our picks the week of the NHL awards. But early early thoughts, who takes it? Early thoughts, I think you got to give it to Yossi. Just because uh, he, he had, what, what, 10 more points? I don't know exactly, but I know yeah. it was double digits more than Makar. And it was a breakout year for Yossi. I mean, he we're talking like 30, almost 30 points more than his career high. And and the Predators, I know you, you don't look at the playoffs and all that, but, I mean, they were just hot going in. I mean, if they didn't go through so many injuries, it might have been a different story. Uh, I just think you have to give it to Yossi. I agree. I think Yossi's the winner. Makar will come in second, Hedman in third. Um, and Makar will probably win multiple. And it seems like the NHL does love getting every Norris trophy. I was going to say that, too. Their trophy. It's the only trophy I feel that way about. 
It really is because the Hart Trophy is so subjective and so is the Vesna Trophy. There are lots of other things that go into those uh, awards, like no bad team's goalies winning the Vesna Trophy. The devil screwed Corey Schneider out of two. He led the league in goals against and save percentage twice and didn't get even nominated because he had like 15 wins that year. So like, you know, lots of things go into those awards. The Norris Trophy, if you're a sick defenseman, you're a sick defenseman. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And they like getting everybody theirs. Dowdy has his. Brent Burns has his. Eric Carlson has two. Duncan Keith had two. Um, it's time for Roman Yossi to get his. I think Kale McCarr will get there. Victor Hedman probably will win another one someday too, I believe. So it's going to be interesting. The Vezina Trophy yesterday, the announcement of the nominees, uh, Igor Shesterkin of the New York Rangers, UC Saros of the Nashville Predators, and Jakob Markstrom of the Calgary Flames. Your guy, who do you got? I kind of feel bad for Saros and Markstrom because I yep. think it's Shesterkin easy. Um, 207 goals against, 935 save percentage. You're popping out 36 wins. Um, I mean, he had a really good regular season, and I, I think – out of all the trophies, this is the clear, obvious one, like guaranteed, hands down, besides the ones like most goals and, you know, but I mean, Shesterkin, absolute monster in the regular season. Playoffs have been a little shaky for him, which kind of sucks, and but we don't talk about that for the Vezina. Uh, he's, but just for stats sake, he does have a 4-2 goals against in the playoffs. So he's not the Shesterkin that we saw in the regular season. But ultimately, I think he takes home the trophy. And Saros will I, – I don't know who will come in second. I don't know what I predicted last week. Maybe Saros and Markstrom. Maybe you had it in that order, Shesterkin, Saros, Markstrom. But Markstrom was my early favorite going into the season. But Shesterkin just blew me away the rest of the rest of the way. Yeah. I, I mean, this one's not even a conversation. The playoffs don't matter. He's tired in the playoffs. The team's not playing well in front of him. And Crosby's dominating them. So, I mean, that doesn't go into consideration, but Chesterkin's going to win the Vesna Trophy. Mm -hmm. I would bet every penny I have on it. It's not even like a fair bet in Vegas. Like, it's like minus 4,000. Yeah, it's just stupid. So, uh, shout out to Markstrom for leading the league in shutouts and getting another one yeah. in the postseason. And Saros. I'm telling you. Saros, man. He's awesome, too. Yeah. The National Predators went from Pekka Rene to UC Saros, just the, fin the Finnish goaltending factory mm -hmm. in Honky Tonk, Nashville, Tennessee. The place you exactly expect to just dominate everybody and finish goaltending factory, you know. So hockey's hockey's poetry. So we talked mm -hmm. about that. Um, yet today it was announced that Michael Bunting of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Trevor Zegris of the Anaheim Ducks, and Moritz Sider of the Detroit Red Wings are your um, Calder Trophy nominees for the best rookie in the NHL. Feels obvious to me. It but. feels obvious to me, especially because I chose Cider last week. Yep, um, I know Joey, I think he chose Zegris, to be honest with you. I didn't think Zegris would get nominated. I didn't either. But I didn't. I, I would have voted for Raymond over him. I mean, he kind of – I agree. I, that, that was one of my two. I said Raymond Cider, and I, I said uh, Lundell, and I said oh, Lundell. Lundell. Him, those those were my three. They'll um, be the top five when the voting comes out. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of surprised – that Zegers got nominated. I mean, if we're talking first half of the season, Zegers, I mean, he, he, he's, I mean, I'm not against him being nominated by any means. Um, I mean, he's a great young kid, but I think cider now that we know the nominees and see who he's up against, he's got to be the clear favorite. 
gotta be. Yeah, I agree. My problem is I think Zegers gets style points, and I don't think that's fair. Just because Ray, because Raymond's Raymond's goals weren't through his legs or doing the Michigan, and I'm not ripping on Zegers for doing that stuff. Keep doing the Michigan Zegers. You're sick. Everyone wants to see you continue being sick. I'm not ripping on Zegers. I'm saying Raymond was more productive than Zegers. He just wasn't as flashy. You know, is is who's right there is Nathan McKinnon as flashy as Patrick Kane? No, he's really not. He's flashy. I'm trying to think of a better example. Oh, oh, good. A real good one. Is Chris Kreider as flashy as Leon Dreisaitl? Does his shot feel as big of a bomb as Leon Dreisaitl's is? No. He had six less goals, though. What the hell's the difference if you're tipping it in, banking rebounds, garbage goals, whatever the hell you want to do? You scored 50, Kreider. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing as Dreisaitl's 50, just because a couple of Dreisaitl's came from slick passes and bomb shots. Yeah, it's the same type of deal. So, yeah, I love Zegris, but to me, Raymond deserved it a little more. Um, I would vote for Cider, though. 50 points as a rookie defenseman on a bad team. Um, Do you think think that – I mean, they they shouldn't do this, and obviously they would deny it, but do you think because Raymond and Cider play on the same team, they're like, yeah, we don't want to add – two from the same team i hope they don't do that but i hope that wasn't a thought but do you think maybe it could be the only thing swaying me against it is that kucherov and johnson were both nominated for the calder trophy in 2015 and i don't think either of them won it i'm trying to think who would have won the calder trophy in 2015 that year that the hawks won the cup i just remember that it might have been ekblad and i think he won it and kucherov came in second and johnson came in third which it was funny that we saw Kucherov and Johnson as equals back then and Palat. <laughs> Remember they were the triplet yeah. line? Mm-hmm. Um, we saw those three as like equals playing sick on like the young triplets line, but now Kucherov has taken his game to another level. Um, but yeah, maybe. But also Raymond had four less points than Bunting, and Bunting is six years older and mm-hmm. plays on a line with Marner and Matthews. There are people right. mad about that. I'm personally not one to rip on guys for situation. Would Tom Brady be the greatest quarterback of all time if he was drafted by the Miami Dolphins? Probably not. But he became the greatest of all time. And when he did go to a bad team like the Buccaneers, they were able to turn it like, you know, stuff like that. Bunting could become a great player because of playing with Matthews and Marner. But, you know, did Panarin learn a thing or two from Patrick Kane? Absolutely. Did he need Patrick Kane to stay productive in New York, though? No. So I kind of. I kind of see both sides of the fence. Bunting, great year, deserves the nomination. I, I like Lundell's game too, and I think Jeremy Swayman of the Boston Bruins will finish in the top ten as well. So the, that's the Calder Trophy for you. Um, we talked about the Blackhawks giving their pick to Columbus with Tab. Um, what's your favorite hockey story right now? Um, well, it's a big one. Um, I don't really – I haven't watched a lot of it. But the Rockford Icehogs won the a- their AHL playoff series, and they are going to advance to play the Chicago Wolves in the semifinals. So we have an interstate uh, battle here in the AHL playoffs and the semifinals. This is actually the third time in franchise history they will be meeting in the postseason. Uh, the first time they ever met was 2008. 
They lost to the Wolves. The Rockford Ice Hogs lost to the Wolves in seven games. In 2018, 10 years later, they met again in the playoffs where they, the Rockford Ice Hogs turned things around from 2008 and they swept the Wolves in a best of five. They won three in a row. You look, so this is kind of the rubber match series here in 2022. You look at how they played against the Wolves this year. They played them 12 times. They went 8-3-0-1. They do their record a little bit different in the AHL. Um, they went 8-3-0-1 against them. I don't know who's the favorite. My guess is the Wolves would have to be the favorite. But with that record that they had against the Wolves this year, I don't know. The, the Rockford Ice Hogs might advance. There you go. I'm hoping – We'll see what happens, but um, obviously my team in the playoffs right now is the Utica Comets, New Jersey Devils squad. If the Calder Cup comes through Chicago, though, I would love to go to a game. The last time the Calder Cup was played was in 2019 before COVID because they had a regular season last year but no playoffs, and then the playoffs got canceled the year before that. Um, I went to a game between the Ice or the Wolves and the Charlotte Checkers, and it was outstanding. So great story. I love hearing that. I'm rooting for the Ice Hogs, but I don't think they're going to win. Um, the Wolves are magnificent, and they have the they have the freaking Carolina Hurricanes and Florida Panthers feeding their farm system right now, and those are two of the best systems in the league right now. So you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe the Blackhawks uh, farm system, Rockford, will be able to prevail. Um, Ian Mitchell's having a great year down there, and I love that guy. I'm rooting for him to make the Blackhawks next year, but we'll see. My favorite hockey story of the week, this is dedicated to Mr. Joey Parisi because this has been our guy for a very long time. I'm going to talk about Patrick Marlowe, who officially retired as of yesterday or today. I can't remember if it was yesterday or today. He was He's the NHL's all-time games played leader, over 1,200 points. He's got the nickname Mr. Shark because he spent most of his career with the San Jose Sharks. They selected him, I believe it was with the second overall pick in the 1997 NHL draft. Um, it's funny. They took Joe Th or the Boston Bruins took Joe Thornton first. Patrick Marlowe went to the Sharks second and Jumbo was traded from the Bruins to the Sharks maybe like some five or six years later and one and two were on the same team. Imagine if Eichel and McDavid ended up on the same team. That's what happened with San Jose. But Marlowe, he's Mr. Shark, 23 NHL seasons, just an absolute stud of a winger. I mean, few wingers to me draw comparisons to like a Marion Hossa. Marlowe was like a diet Marion Hossa, except he was just a little bit more durable. And he never won the cup with the Sharks. They were kind of for a long time that team that was just so good in the regular season every year. And they won rounds and made it to the cup that one year in 2016. And then, you know, they have a bunch of conference finals appearances. The Blackhawks stopped them from winning the cup in 2010 when they were probably at the real height of their power, um, beating them in the conference finals, sweeping them in the conference finals that year, no less. Um, some great players have gone through San Jose in the last 20 years, and Patrick Marlowe is one of the best. So I think he has a chance to make the Hall of Fame. 1,200 points in 1,700 games. It's under point per game by kind of a lot. His, But he reached 1,000 points, and I think the NHL's all-time games played leader should be in the Hall of Fame if he was an elite player, and Marlowe for a long time was an elite player. And he did have stints, let's not forget, with the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Pittsburgh Penguins. So 
I think he was with the Hurricanes contractually for like five minutes, but I don't think he played a game for them. I would have to look it up. Um, yeah, Patrick Marlowe. We love Patty. He was on my fantasy team that one year. He scored 30 late in his career. Um, he he was very, very good. So that's my story. I know Joey loves Patty too. Um, I think I think Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews owe a lot of what they are today to Patrick Marlowe too. He was like their hockey dad in their first couple years in the league. They were over at the Marlowe's for dinner frequently when he was with the Leafs. Um, I, I'm sad he wasn't able to ever get that cup. Um, he was a great player. So Patrick Marlowe, retired. Yeah. It was great to be alive at the same time as him. Earlier or late last week, we saw Doctor Strange for the first time. What were your thoughts on the movie? Um, do you want my spoiler-free review? Yeah, sure. Um, or do you just want my thoughts right now? It's up to you. Both. That your spoiler free review are your thoughts. Okay, so yeah, I just want to say from beginning to end, the movie kept me on the edge of my seat because it's got that Sam. You could tell it's a Sam Raimi directed movie. It's got that vibe through the whole thing. Um, For those who don't know, Sam Raimi's a horror director. Yeah, it's a very. There's a lot of horror aspect throughout the whole movie, and you'll definitely tell at different parts. Um, I just want to say to people who haven't seen it yet, just don't go into the movie expecting too much. That's all I want to say. Um, because then if you don't, as a, a quote from a Marvel movie, Spider-Man, if you don't, if you expect disappointment, you'll never be disappointed. But it wasn't a disappointing movie by far. I mean, me personally, I would watch it again. And there are certain Marvel movies where I don't need to see again, like the Eternals. Um or Shang-Chi. I love Shang-Chi. I love that movie, but I don't really need to see it again. I mean, maybe, but this is a movie I would go watch and see again. I really liked it. I liked it more than a lot of people did just because I just love the whole vibe it had. I'm a big horror guy. Maybe that's why. Maybe I'm a little biased. I love Doctor Strange. I love his storyline. So I thought it was very well put together. Um, there were certain parts of the movie I was expecting a little bit more which is why I tell people who haven't seen it yet, don't expect too, too much, like too, too much out there. But other than that, I was really satisfied and I left the movie satisfied. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree. I have it ranked. So there are 28 MCU movies now that are out and available to watch, not including the TV shows. And I have it ranked 12th. It's not an elite movie. It's not one of the seven S tier movies, and it's not one of the six or seven A tier movies. But um, that is just not true, Mister Gage. Just very, very <laughs> wrong. Um, it was a very well thought out movie. It didn't have the cameos that I thought it was going to. That's what um, I, that's what I meant by don't expect too much. Yeah, there was one that I really appreciate, but we knew that they would eventually come out eventually so i thought elizabeth olsen was the star of the movie playing the scarlet witch um it was the first time she really was the scarlet witch and yeah i i have no i'm not going to spoil anything but it was a great movie so it could have been a scarlet witch movie yeah i think the fact that but there are certain point parts of the movie where no, it's a Doctor Strange movie, and I think, but like you said, it's a big role from her. Yeah, and and I loved WandaVision. I think yeah. it's a great TV show. Um, it's probably my favorite Marvel TV show. 
And so, yeah, anybody unlike Thomas Gage who has an open mind and enjoys actual good filmmaking, this MCU stuff is for you. And go. I mean, I'm fine with being a child. That's fine with me. Yeah, but I mean, it's not just for children. And I know for a fact that the ratings committee, I guess you could call them, this was one like minor step away from being rated R. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of articles that came out on should it have been rated R? Me personally, I don't think so. No, I don't. By any stretch. Um, but anybody who says Marvel's for children, that's just, I don't know. I don't appreciate that because there's so much more. I think what people think who haven't watched Marvel movies before is from the tip of the iceberg, they just think superheroes. They just they don't have an open mind to see what the true story is developing. Same yeah. goes with Star Wars. People think Star Wars, oh, it's, it's just that space stuff. I'm not going to watch Aliens and stuff. But they don't understand that there's a true story behind it. And I think if people gave it a chance, they'd see the true beauty of how everything transpires. Yeah, and if you look up the top 25 highest grossing films of all time, 20 of them are from the MCU. So, Mr. Gage, if MCU movies aren't for you, then you're going to hate a lot of this show. So. See ya. Um, I have a question for you. Out of, and I, I think I know where you're going to go with this. I have a sandwich debate that I heard on one of my favorite um, okay. radio stations. Yeah, I like this a week. good debate, so yeah. hit me with it. The four most common, like, common folk sandwiches are peanut butter and jelly, tuna, grilled cheese, and BLT. Those are like, the common four sandwiches that you could get just about anywhere. If you had to eliminate one of them, what would it be? Can you say them one more time? Grilled cheese, BLT, tuna, peanut butter, and jelly. You're not going to know where I'm going with this. You probably think think I'd say tuna. Well, I think if you say tuna, I would strongly disagree with you. It's not tuna. It's BLT. Okay. Just because... There are so many more sandwiches that I would prefer over. First of all, I'm not a tomato guy. And even if you took the tomato off, I want bacon and lettuce. Like, are you kidding? I'd rather ham and Swiss. I'd rather a meatball sub or rather a turkey sandwich. I mean, you name a sandwich and there are, I, I don't, I, so many more things I'd rather have than a BLT. Um, I honestly think BLTs are kind of overrated. Um, so I think hands down, BLT, out of here. I don't ever have to have another one in my life, to be honest with you. There are some restaurants that have variation of BLTs that I think are outstanding. Um, I think like Panera has a roasted turkey avocado BLT, and it is phenomenal. So I think because of the ability to enhance a BLT, I think I would send PB&J out of here. And I love wow. PB&J. I love PB&J. <laughs> Especially with uh, toasted Ooh. bread. If you oh, make I was just going to say, good old toasted. BLT. Um, I think there's plenty of ways to make a good PB&J, but a grilled cheese is a staple. A tuna is a staple. And then I like a doctored up BLT. So it's going to be interesting to hear what Joey has to say about that. I think he might go BLT. I would say BLT is probably second. Least out of the three, to me, tuna and grilled cheese are locks. And then did you think I was food. going the tuna route? Um, you I said you the, think you know the route I was going. I, I yeah, I think you. I thought you might, just because like not everybody loves tuna, not everybody loves fish, 
but I think tuna, like a tuna melt is outstanding. Here's the thing I'll say about tuna. Well, first of all, grilled cheese out of the four, it's probably my favorite, hands down. How I love a good grilled cheese. Oof, if it's made right, I love the way G makes grilled cheeses. She puts cream cheese on it too. It's magnificent. It is so good. There are so many different things you could do to a grilled cheese. The type of cheese, the way you cook it, you want shredded cheese, you want regular cheese, you want to add cream cheese, meat on there. That's hands down my favorite out of all the ones that you mentioned. But with tuna, I mean, I like fish. I like cod. I like salmon. I mean, I like tuna fish. Tuna, a tuna sandwich is different than just eating tuna. You know what I mean? And I think if you don't like tuna, there's still a chance that you like tuna fish, a tuna fish sandwich. Um, it's just got a different, there's just a different texture flavor about it. And it's why I really, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a tuna sandwich fanatic. I mean, I don't eat them often. I probably sometimes or probably go a year over a year without having one, but I won't like hate it and be like, Oh, I'm not eating that. So no. So yeah, that's where I stand on that. I need to take you to cheesies. It's by the, there's one by the United center and there's one by uh, Wrigley field. They just have a variety of different kinds of grilled cheeses. So that's good. Um, yeah. So this Thomas Gage guy's just in the comments, just absolutely <laughs> roasting Marvel. Like, I fun of Marvel fans, I've been, I've been keeping track on the if side. They're indeed not children. Like just what a clown this guy is. You don't like Marvel movies. Get out of here. Then, the name sounds familiar. Do we yeah. Thomas Gage? Uh, I mean, our friend Gage's dad's name is Tom. So you're just combining their two. No, names. <laughs> I feel like he's been here before, like yeah, for something. Or, I, mean, I don't know. Uh, his opinions are relevant to me. So I'm going to keep watching Marvel movies as the adult that I am. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and everybody's going to love them except you. So have fun being the only one not going. So um, what are you watching this weekend, sports or non-sports? Uh, well, we'll start off with sports. Obviously, NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs, the MLB. Um, I would like to catch a USFL game. I have not gotten the opportunity to watch one. Ooh, uh, I was not expecting you to say that. I wanted to throw a little curveball to the fans. I always say eh, NBA playoffs. I just, mm-hmm. But no, I would I would like to catch a USFL game. Um, the other day on Mother's Day where we were at, it was on the TV. I just briefly looked. They were playing. It looked interesting. It's a very small league. I think there's only eight teams. But I definitely would want to check it out. You know me. I mean, any sport... I'm in new. I love sports. So if I've gotten the chance to catch one, maybe soon, maybe this is the opportunity this week. Um, so yeah, that, that's the sports. As far as non-sports go, uh, still watching Clone Wars. Big Sky's back in full force. That finale is uh, coming up in a few weeks. Um, I wanted to throw another curveball that you weren't expecting this. I think Dr. Strange got me in the mood for this, but I want to maybe have an opportunity to an opportunity to watch. I don't really want to go to the theaters to watch this movie because it's been out for a little bit. So if there's a way I could stream it, maybe I'll do that. If not, maybe I will make a trip to the movies, but the movie, everything, everywhere, all at once, it's a multiversal movie. Um, and I'm due for a new movie. So maybe, maybe that'll be on the docket this week, but I don't know. But Yeah. Um, for me, it's, it's obviously the Stanley cup playoffs. I'm going to take in as much as I can. I mean, the Leafs, um, I'm really interested to see what the Oilers can do here. I, I want the Penguins to clinch tonight. I, like the Penguins beating the Rangers, to, it might be like cigar worthy. I'm not kidding. I've smoked a cigar the last five times the Rangers have gotten eliminated. You know me. That's my that's my favorite 
thing in hockey is besides the devil's winning is the Rangers losing. Yeah. So that, you know, I literally might make a stop for a cigar just in case that that becomes the case. And maybe we'll go live on Twitter or something and do that. I'm, I'm very excited for that. Um, seeing my Leafs, what they can do, the Bruins tomorrow, hopefully coming back against Carolina. We'll see what happens there. Other sports, um, this Boston NBA series between them and the Bucks, Oof. outstanding, outstanding stuff. Uh, the Heat blowing out the the 76ers. That's interesting to watch. Then they just take a three to two series lead. Um, not sure who I think is going to come out of either of those two series. I kind of think the Bucks are going to take. Don't you agree? Like that the Bucks are going to take the East. Oh, we're going to talk about them here in a little bit. Oh, okay. okay. To- <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I know where you're going with that, pal. And then, of course, Major League Baseball. I will be in attendance when the Chicago White Sox take on the New York Yankees on Monday or Saturday night. They were canceled today because the Cleveland Guardians are contact tracing COVID-19. And I put nothing past COVID anymore. It won't shock me if games are getting canceled in 2025 because of this stuff. I'm being dead serious. Yeah. I'm being dead serious. Um. But, you know, hopefully it doesn't impact the White Sox too much. Not that I want it to impact Cleveland by any means. I don't root for that for anyone. I'm just a little surprised that they're, like, canceling a whole-ass game because a couple guys got COVID. Like, I don't know. Maybe the maybe it was prominent players that the MLB just didn't want to get the game in without. Like, maybe it was Ramirez and Naylor and Reyes and, uh, you know, Bieber wasn't supposed to pitch today, so I don't think it would have mattered with that. But, you know, the White Sox off tomorrow now. Um, I don't think they'll make up today's game tomorrow. I haven't been on Twitter since the show started, so I'm not sure if the game will be made up tomorrow. I kind of hope it is. Mm. That will mean I still get Michael Kopech when I'm in attendance on Sunday, and it might be Dallas Keuchel if Oof. it's not That's a rough made one. up. So we'll see what happens. The New York Yankees are good. Did you see that judge walk off last night? If I was a if I was a betting man, oh, I, I saw the Yankees losing. I would have been so so mad so we'll see what happens there um baseball hockey football non-sports i am a little more motivated to finish hawkeye now i have three episodes left um I, moon knight is in the bag finished that it was outstanding oscar isaac did a really good job portraying all his variants of his character um love that stuff so i'm a fully grown adult enjoying marvel and i will always stay that way um is, is that it on my sports watching radar? I know the Kentucky Derby was last week. Well, you were um, in the non-sports. Yeah, I was in the non-sports. I, I don't know if there's going to be any non-sports stuff that I'm going to have time to watch this weekend. We'll see. But I'll re- certainly report back. Finish Hawkeye because it's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Jake Lockley. I probably will. So shout out you, Scocks. Thank you very much for listening. Um, we are going to get to everybody's favorite podcast segment of the week breaking bets where's my money bitch welcome to breaking bets no jp here to argue with you i can't take his picks if he's not here yeah um, uh, Thomas Gage says, bye, Vinny. Enjoy your children's shows. See you later. I don't know why you're still I, here. <laughs> I don't get a bye, but that's yeah, okay. Well, you're not as hateable as me. Um, I, I got some picks for you guys today. The show goes on when there's only one instead of two. Um, 
Vin, you're you might like a couple of my picks, but you're gonna disagree with my first one because you already said who you thought was gonna win this game earlier. I think the Rangers got great value tonight at minus one twenty four on the money line. Bye, Thomas. <laughs> um, <laughs> I uh, now I just lost my train of thought. I like the Rangers to win tonight on the money line. They're at home. I just think Shesterkin was and the he was just too good in the regular season to lose in five games. I'd honestly be surprised. I mean, if the Pittsburgh Penguins win the series in six, I get it. But the 124 at a team coming home, I don't know. I mean, I, I just love the price. I think that's why I chose that as my hockey pick because there's really no other hockey games that I would wanted to touch um, and, and give to the fans that are watching. So Rangers money line minus 124. I love it. Second pick. I think it's crazy because I think the Bucks are going to win in six. The Bucks are plus five and a half against the Celtics on the road in Boston. Five and a half is a lot for the Bucks, who are a team that I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up winning back-to-back -back NBA championships. Um, and you're getting at plus five and a half at minus 110. I think the Bucks win tonight, clinch it in game six. Gladly take the five and a half point head start. Um, it's crazy. I mean, I think Boston should be the favorite, but not five-and-a-half-point favorites. If anything, I'd make them two. Um, maybe the bookies know something that I don't, but I will gladly give you guys the five-and-a-half-point pick on the Milwaukee Bucks. I think there's great value on that, and you're getting a lot of points for it. And my last pick, the Boston Red Sox are playing the Atlanta Braves. Boston Red Sox have just been terrible. Um <laughs> <laughs> I agree with the barroom network here. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, how are you guys gonna put that up when I'm doing this? Not. <laughs> um, that's a good one. I mean, you could you could take that one too. I could add that as my fourth pick. I mean, honestly, if you think like he's just probably too stupid to understand Marvel movies, so there's you 28 of them, and you got to have an actual brain to put it all together. So some people <laughs> just aren't capable. Thomas Gage uh, wears white after Labor Day. I recently learned that that only applies to pants and shoes. Oh, really? <laughs> you can wear a white shirt after Labor Day, and the fashion people won't get on you for it. It's pants and shoes. Um, as I was saying, the Atlanta Braves are home against the Boston Red Sox. Boston Red Sox have been pitiful. It just seems like they always try to fall apart. Um, I think Ian Anderson's pitching for the Braves, and Evaldi's pitching for the Boston Red Sox. You look at ERAs and stuff, Uvalde may be the better pitcher, but I'm not trusting the Red Sox on the road. They're 4-12 and 12 in their last 16 games overall. They took game one against the Braves, which I don't see them taking two in a row on the road against the Braves. Braves are at home, minus 121, great value against a, a Red Sox team who has just been slumping lately. Atlanta Braves with Ian Anderson, who could be, when he's at his best, he's pretty good. Braves minus 121. I like it. Those are my pick. Rangers money line, Bucks plus five and a half. Braves money line. Take it and see what happens. Take it and run with it. Um, some of these picks have been hot lately, so we try to give the, the viewers the best, and I'm trying to do that tonight, so we'll see what happens. I will fully disclose that me thinking the Penguins beat the Rangers is half my hatred for the Rangers. It would not surprise me at all if they force a game six. I do think the Penguins will win one of their next three. I do believe that. I think it would be irrational to 
kind of think the opposite. I mean, maybe the Rangers could pull it off. Teams have plenty of times before being down three to one. I mean, the Hawks did it in 2013 against Detroit. They were down three to one and looked like they were dead. Uh-huh. But I, I just think it's a little different here. I think Crosby will prevail at some point. It wouldn't shock me at all, though, if Igor has a great game tonight and the Rangers win. If there's value on the bet, I certainly don't think it's dumb at all. I actually that's, that's value at home. Yeah, hundred percent. Any of the teams that are down three to two, if they're dogs, I think have probably value. Uh-huh. Um, and I think my my little addition to breaking bets this week, I'm probably going to throw a little something. I think. The White Sox are going to be dogs in almost every game they play this weekend against the New York Yankees. And it'll be rare times this year that you can get the White Sox as dogs. I know they had that slump a couple weeks ago. They've won seven of their last eight. They're are they on a, home? They're rolling. Yeah. They, I don't and think they'll be as much as a dog as you think. Maybe not. If 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 Cole faces Keuchel, the Yankees will be extreme favorites on that. Oh, yeah. and I, I would take the White Sox. Even though I think the Yankees probably would win that game. I think I would still lay a little something on the White Sox in every game in the series if they're dogs because I think roster-wise, batting order-wise, they could be just as good, especially if Andy Vaughn returns. He's in AAA starting yesterday. Um, So we'll see what happens with the lineup going against the Yankee pitching. And the White Sox pitching has been outstanding outside of Keuchel, even though Keuchel had a good game against Boston. Um, Those are different situations right now. So – We'll see what happens there. Uh, really quick, before we leave, I want to ask you, did you see the no-hitter last night? I heard about it. I did not see it. I got a notification in the 8th, and I threw it on. And that it was a rookie. He was taken in the same draft as Crochet. He was taken with the Angels pick. It was, in the, it was much higher than Crochet. But, you know, it's just interesting to me when – like those firsts of the season happens in baseball. And we got breaking news during the show that Christian Yelich of the brew crew hit the first cycle of the MLB season with his triple today. So if you have Christian Yelich in your fantasy baseball team, you got a single, a double, a triple and a home run today. So you're, you're having a good day. Um, Um, Go ahead. No, the, uh, the no hitter is like you were saying, I was not expecting it. I saw the news. I was not expecting to get that news based on the starting pitcher. Um, but yeah, was that the, that's the first no hitter of 2022, right? It is. So it is a. It's so clear to me, and I kind of thought it before he threw the no hitter that it was trending in that direction anyway. But I think the Angels might be a playoff team. Did you? Yeah, I, I agree. No, I I agree with that. Did you see Anthony uh, Rendon's lefty homer, two run homer? No, I didn't know that happened. He because he's a righty. Yeah, he's not a switch hitter either. <laughs> no, he's not a switch hitter. But they were up 10, 10 to nothing. They were up, and there was one guy on, and Rendon's like, All right, I'll decide to hit lefty. Belts a two run homer. The crowds went there, the announcers went nuts. You got to listen to the call, find it on Twitter or something. It was insane. I was like, well, Are you kidding me? Because I know if I tried to bet left handed, it's like night and day. Yeah. So this, this guy comes up to the plate and just hits a two run homer lefty. First at bat as a lefty, just cranks a two run bomb. He's got to have some kind of experience with it, even if he's not a switch hitter. Because I literally feel like I'm playing a different sport. Exactly. All, and all you do when you bat left handed is switch your hands. Like that's literally all you do. And it literally feels like a different it sport. It does. I feel like I never played baseball when I hold my hands like that. 
I mean, oh. I think he did it because they were up 10 to nothing. And yeah. at that point, the game didn't mean anything. He's like, I'll just mess around. He just felt it to him. I was like, you got to look it up. That's honestly wild. After what happened with the White Sox on Monday, I'll never think any lead is safe in any sport anymore. Like, that's just not. Oh, yeah. Here we go. How it is. So, yeah, there's Rendon batting lefty for those watching the audio version. <laughs> just look at this thing. Oh. <laughs> Hold on, they're playing with me. I thought that was the pitch. Yeah. Maybe uh, oh, oh, it was off of Brett Phillips. Going on? Yeah, but still. He's the position player, so he bad still. Lucky. That's comedy. Look at him doing this. Diddy. Come on, Diddy. Oh, oh my goodness. Left-handed Anthony Rendon with the two-run home run. I mean, you cannot make this up. Crazy. Oh, this is one of those oh me oh my moments. And that's honestly crazy that it happened in the same game as a no-no. Uh-huh. Uh, Brett Phillips has pitched for Tampa Bay before and done really well. Yeah, even so, though it's against a position player. I mean, still, though, it's hard to do. It's a position player that also pitches. Sometimes. In the MLB. We're not talking <laughs> like, about no schmuck. Yeah. So, shout out to Anthony Rendon. Shout out to the Angels. If. Let me ask you this seriously, and I'm not asking this as a troll because I think it would be cool if like this wasn't the case. If the White Sox win their division and then the Yankees, Mets, Angels, and Dodgers all hang on, the Cubs will be the only one from the three big cities that aren't in. That would kind of suck. Yeah, you know, the Cubs, were they started out hot and they just fell off a cliff ever since. So, Yeah, and did you see Frank Schwindel hit one of the warning track with Bases loaded in the top of the ninth yesterday. Down yeah, one. Yeah, that's a, that's a heartbreaker. I feel bad for the guy. I'm not a Cubs. I like Schwindel. Yeah, I like Schwindel too. I'm not a Cubs fan. I make fun of them quite frequently. I I feel bad. I mean, he's got nothing right now, and he was sent down and then called up a day later because someone got hurt. Mm-hmm. Like it's just crazy to me. So that's funny. Skyler points <laughs> out that he didn't switch his shin guard. That's actually hilarious. It's like they didn't care. It was the eighth inning. They're like, yeah, oh. well. He knew he knew that Brett Phillips wasn't pumping a hundred at his ankles anytime soon. <laughs> like, why switch it? <laughs> that's really funny. So that's our show. Thank you very much to everybody for tuning in. We started a half hour earlier than we normally do, so we can accommodate the great Tab Bamford of Bleacher Nation now after running Committed Indian for all those years. Um, it was a great interview with him. I had a blast conducting that with you. I think you did a great job. I commend you for it. And, you know, thanks for participating in it with me. I, same thing to Tab. Thank you so much to him. Absolutely. Um, I was really looking forward to the show. I look forward to the show every week. But today was just – it was an awesome, awesome experience to have him on the show. He is such a big name in Blackhawks news and articles. And for guys like us who write articles and seeing him do what he does, it was just a great experience. And I'm glad we got the chance to do it. Yeah. So – one extra shout out to you, Mr. Tom Mangarelli. Great idea. I, I from the second I got your text, I started working on it. So, and got, let the chat let that be no, news to you. If you reach out to me, there's plenty of ways to find me. My DMs are open on Twitter. Most of you are friends with me on Facebook, Snapchat, all that sort of stuff. Some of you even have my number. Reach out. I'll see what I can do. Okay, I'm not against having anyone on this show except for that racist asshole, Tony D'Angelo. He's the only one banned from my show. I'd never want to see his face. Um, And I probably wouldn't have Thomas Gage on my show unless he wanted to really just let me scream at him in his face. Actually, (laughs) I I probably would have that guy on to debate with him. Um, You know, we'll see. Send me send me your thoughts. I I enjoyed having it. And so thank you, Tom, for reaching out. It was a good time. Um, 
Make sure you're following at the King Bean on Twitter. Make sure you're following at Joey Parisi on Twitter, who couldn't be here. And any complaints with the show, anything that you didn't like, make sure you refer all of your troubles to at Joey Parisi. His DMs are open, and he's very much looking forward to hearing from you. And of course, I'm at Vinny Parisi. You could catch me tomorrow at 2 p.m. on Crosstown Crosstalk, where I'll be interviewing Nick Murawski who is just one of the great people on White Sox Twitter. I literally, there's two reasons I have a mustache. I'm not shaving it till Austin Matthews gets eliminated, and I'm excited to have Mr. Mustache himself. Nick on tomorrow. It's going to be a great time. We're going to talk White Sox baseball breakdown, what's going on between them and their 7-1 and one in their last eight games. It really should be a eight-game winning streak right now, but Mr. Josh Naylor had other ideas in the ninth and 10th inning on Monday. Um and then we'll go over what's going on with the Cubs and can they take a series, you know, anytime soon. Uh, the Padre series will be over by then, so we'll see what happens tonight. But, you know, some big games coming up for both teams. Go over what's going on in the entire MLB. And then Monday night I'll be back at it with the South Burbs Hitmen. Um, got some big guests lined up talking White Sox on that show, so I really can't thank everybody enough who tunes into all of the Barroom Network shows. And make sure you're reading all the blogs. Frankie's got you covered on the video game front at apptrigger.com. And then, of course, I'm covering all the Chicago teams and the New Jersey Devils via Pucks and Pitchforks to windycity.com and southsideshowdown.com. You can catch all the stuff there. And then, of course, I'll mention one last time, you can follow Frankie on Twitter at the King Bean, and you can follow me on Twitter at Vinny Parisi. And as always, keep enjoying the playoffs. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy your family. Enjoy the nice weather. Let's go Leafs. Thank you for listening. Come on, let's go have a look. Come on. Well, there are two banthas down there, but I don't see any. Wait a second. They're sand people, all right? I can see one of them now. 